Welcome on in. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. It is Friday. Hallelujah. The Friday before Easter. Good Friday for all you Catholics and others who observe that. Good Friday. It's a big day for me growing up, that's for sure. And then for a lot of you, uh, spring break is coming up next week. And the weather's supposed to be awesome. Yeah, things are looking up. Jazz at home tonight against the Chicago Bulls for sure. Expect them to get the win. All right. Well, we want to talk a little college football. Utah is going to have new running backs. Whoever it is going to be the starter, we shall see. They've got two transfers, DJ Pledger and Chris Curry from uh, Oklahoma and LSU. And then Makai Bernard was on the team last year as a freshman. Obviously, Ty Jordan got the majority of the carries, and the other guys left. Three other guys transferred out. So how's it going to be for these guys? New faces at the running back position. And we had an opportunity to hear them in Zoom calls, and we'll let you hear from them first, starting with T.J. Pledger, then Chris Curry, and then the lone holdover, Makai Bernard. Here they are in that order. Good morning, T.J. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. So you probably had a lot of offers when you went into the portal. What what led you to choose Utah over the other schools? Um, you know, really just the, the tradition Utah holds at the uh, running back position and um, just building a great relationship with uh, Coach McDonald. And uh, you just being able to, you know, look at the opportunity and understand what the position I'm walking into and, uh, you know, aiming to take advantage of that. Next question will come from Steve Bardo with the Ute Zone. TJ, you had an incredible high school career in Southern California. I'm sure you've got a lot of friends and family uh, that are excited to to have you closer to home. What's that like? What's that feeling like to to be able uh, to have the opportunity to play in front of your friends and family now? Man, that means everything. You know, winding down my college career, you know, being able to come back to this side of the, of the coast and, and play in front of my family and, you know, new fans, you know, it means a lot to me. And uh, just being able to play guys, you know, for, for a while I haven't played a lot of people that I know because I've been in the Big 12, you know, but coming back to the West Coast and being able to play some familiar faces, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Next question will come from Bill Riley with ESPN 700. TJ, now that you've been here for a minute and you've had a couple of weeks of practice, mm-hmm. how are you acclimating to Andy Ludwig's offensive system and, and what do you make of the, the talent around you in this team? Mm-hmm. Man, you know, I think we, we got a great team, you know, being around these guys, being able to, you know, transition from winter workouts to spring and seeing some of these guys move around and play. You know, you know, this is a fast physical team, and uh, especially on the uh, on both sides of the ball, but up front, you know, on, on both, definitely up front on both sides. But, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's been going good. You know, uh, the offense, I'm loving it. Um, you know, just, just trying to work on different things every day just so I can, you know, be my best self and, you know, be able to play fast and, you know, not have to think. So everything's going good. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Good morning, TJ. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Doing great. I'm just curious. Yeah, you, uh, since you've joined the program now, are there any areas of, of your game that you're focusing on specifically or any areas of your game that the coaches have told you that you need to improve before the season starts? Well, you know, me, uh, you know, looking back at last season, you know, I, I kind of want to evolve my game in, in every aspect, physicality, speed, you know, uh, explosive plays, route running, everything. So, you know, I'm an open book right now. And, you know, whatever the coaches, whatever the coaches, you know, want to work on with me, you know, I'm open to it and, just continue to develop my game so I can play at the highest level possible. So I would say all around. 
Morning, Chris, and, and a, a warm welcome to Utah, obviously, with your transfer here. Um, you know, for you, uh, we, we haven't had the opportunity to hear from you, but ultimately what led to your, what led to your decision to come to Utah? Uh, to send out my, my family praying about it. Uh, I feel like it was the right decision to make. Next question will come from Trevor Allen of KSL Sports. You, uh, played, played with, uh, Joe Burrow and, uh, you know, ha haven't talking to other LSU people. They've, they've said that in, in that sugar bowl game, he, you know, really preached to the coaches to, to start you. What, what was it like playing for a guy like Joe Burrow? Uh, first and foremost, Joe, Joe Burrow is an amazing guy. Um, a great, great character, just a great human being. Uh, it's, it's an honor just to play with a, just to say to play with a Heisman trophy winner. Uh, and for him to speak up for me, it just speaks value. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Obviously, you were part of the LSU team that, that won the national championship. What what things did you learn from that? And what, what can you bring now to this program from, from that opportunity? Uh, physicality, toughness, uh, the swagger. You know, we play with a lot of swagger. And I feel like we could bring that to uh, University of Utah. Next question will come from Bill Riley with ESPN 700. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So you, you said it was a family decision and you prayed on it, but clearly there had to be some football related in there too. What was it you liked about the Utah football program and how much did you know about Utah before you, before you made the decision to come here? Uh, it's crazy. I really didn't know nothing from you, like nothing at all from Utah. Uh, just speaking with Coach McDonald, Coach Mack, uh, he really – guided me, took me in like a father figure and just showed me the ropes. Uh, I think guys like Makai showing me the ropes too around the Utah. Both Kyle Whittingham and Kyle McDonald have said that you have made huge strides since since joining the program. What has led to that? Uh, just understanding the process. Uh, when I came in, uh, super young and uh, didn't know what I need to do yet because, you know, still young, not mature enough. And over the past two years, I've just – you know, use people to my advantage, like Devin Brunfield, you know, TJ Green and them, uh, them helping me out because they've been in the program and just, you know, using them to get strides. And then to follow up on that, uh, bringing in TJ Pledger and uh, Chris Curry, ha have you embraced the, the competition, especially with two guys coming in from other Power 5 programs? Oh, yeah, most definitely. They, you know, two good guys. Uh, I can learn a lot from them. They can learn a lot from me just from being here already. So, yeah, you know. Wonderful. Next question will come from Josh Newman at the Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Makai, how are you? Good, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Um, look, you know, we see hundreds and hundreds of players hit the transfer portal at all times of year now. And, you know, that happened at Utah with TJ and Jordan and, and Devin. I guess I'm curious maybe, you know, what what has compelled you to stay in instead of looking for a different opportunity, I guess. Um, you know, I picked this place for a reason. Uh, I wanted to get away from home. I wanted to do a lot of things. Uh, my main goal still is to get into the league, and we produce here. So, you know, it was just all that I took into consideration. Like, why why would I leave, you know, take – so, you know, just – it was no reason for me to do any of that. And, and just to follow that up, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the two transfers, but, you know, you've been in this program a long time, and, you know, and working with Coach Ludwig for a long time. Uh, how, how much of a benefit can it be to, to be working with the same offensive coordinator for as long as you have at this point? 
Well, I mean, so it's a huge benefit, you know. Um, I've already been in the program, like you said, and I understand what was asked of me. And, you know, right now it's just I can help these these two guys, you know, understand the program and, you know, understand what we're looking for and help us be a better football team. Any more questions from Makai? Um, we have one from Cole Bagley with Utah Daily Chronicle. Yeah, Makai, I'm curious, are there any specific parts of your game that you're focusing on improving this offseason or that you've been told by the coaches that you need to improve? Uh, you know, I'm just focused on being more physical. Uh, you know, first, when I got here, smaller than everybody else and stuff like that. So I had to learn that, you know, it's college now. It's not high school. I can't just run around everybody. I got to actually run through somebody. So, you know, I've been doing that lately. And uh, I think that's the biggest thing I have to focus on. And that's what I'm doing now. Final question will come from Steve Bartle with Utah. Makai, I'm curious with with your game and just your athleticism and and your experience through high school. I'm I'm curious. Have you kind of worked on your your ability as as a route runner and, and receiver as well as you know as, as a running back? Uh, yeah, uh, you know I practice every day. Uh, Coach Mack, he preached to us. We got to be able to run routes up the backfield. You know, we got to get uh, another aspect to our game. So uh, every day I practice, we work routes. And I focus on it. Uh, you know, just it's something critical to our uh, success here at the U. So, you know, yeah. All right, that's Utah running backs. See how that develops. Uh, a couple more weeks of spring ball. They're letting uh, fans in. I think it's like 6,500 get to go to the spring practice for Utah. You got to get your tickets. I'm sure you can go on the website and take advantage of that if you want to go see them uh, later on this month in a couple of weeks as they finish up spring ball, and then they'll reconvene for training camp uh, late July, early August, and we'll see who wins that job or who gets the majority of the carries. Probably the other guys will play a little bit too. they got a kid coming in, Parks, as a freshman. We'll see where that's going to be when we get there. All right, coming up next, we're going to stay with football, stay with Utah football. Let's hear from defensive line coach and former NFL player Sione Puha. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome on in. Thanks for joining us on this early Friday morning, April 2nd. Talking some college football Defensive line coach Sione Puha met with the media, and we're going to let you hear from him. He's with the University of Utah Utes and played there as a star and now is back coaching. They always have a good defensive line. Get the latest on the defensive line from Sione Puha right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Good morning, Coach. Just wanted to know what the last two weeks have been like for for your guys in, in spring ball, especially when you bring back most of your, your talent. Yeah, uh, it's been well so far. Uh, yeah, our main objective is to uh, sharpen up our guys' technique and fundamentals, be able to get them in the in the playbook, and, and really just kind of establish the foundation for just sound football. And that's uh, that goes back to technique, understanding our defense and, and the role that they play in there. So I think our guys have been grasping the objective. We've been doing our best as coaches to be able to implement the best way to teach them, how to 
practice it. And so the guys have been uh, on the right track. Obviously, there's always something to work on. But in terms of what we're facing and what pro progress we're making towards it, the guys have been doing well. Next, we'll go to Hans Olsen. Coach, I'm curious to know what the logjam is like having, you know, seniors return, maybe not just at your position group, but across the board. What's it like managing maybe extra talent that might be a part of spring ball? Uh, in terms of managing, I mean, it just takes a lot of planning before to be able to make sure that everybody gets the necessary reps. But also at the same time, it's good because it builds competition. Uh, you've got uh, guys that have experience and then you have younger guys and, and, and everybody in between. So, uh, you know, having a, a bigger roster, you know, could be challenging, but if you could kind of, we've been able to try to position it in a way where we can create competition versus competition. So if you got a lot of guys just going best on best guys going best versus best in terms of being on the defensive line front. So uh, it provides a, a challenge, but we just manage it by pre-planning make sure that everybody gets the reps that they need. But at the same time, we know that guys are competing with the, uh, against each other because they know that the guy right next to them is just as good uh, as they are. So everybody's just kind of pushing the envelope on, on being the best that they can be. Next up, Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Coach, good morning. Good morning. Uh, just to follow up on what you just said, you know, in terms of competition and depth and getting a better idea of what you have, just generally speaking, what are you looking to see from your group on Friday when you guys go into a scrimmage situation for the first time? Yeah, you know, we've been going at it for a couple of weeks now, uh, just teaching fundamentals and technique, going through individual drills. We'll go a couple of crossovers where we go against the offense. Um, so it was really just good to – Looking forward to see how they react to situational football. That's what we uh, that, that that's one of the main goals of uh, you know having these scrimmages is now we get to implement them into situational um, football. So it, it'll it'll be exciting to see how they react to it, how they uh, how they process what we've been teaching them, and kind of put it into a real life situation such as the scrimmage we'll have on Friday. So really really excited to see how they process the situation. Um, as Friday approaches. We'll go back to Trevor Allen, kslsports.com. When you guys brought in Devin, Devin Confusi from BYU, um, he, he was mainly out on the edge, but what is that, that move? Has it been pretty natural moving him to tackle? Yeah, I think, uh, I think when you have any Kofusi, it's a natural move wherever they go. You can, you can put him anywhere. And, uh, and so he's, 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 he's taken it pretty naturally, but I think he's been real intentional on getting better at the position of being a defensive tackle, moving from the outside in, uh, just got a great work habit, a great attitude. And uh, for him, yeah, naturally, just because of his ability, he's, he's naturally flown into it. But I think intentionally he has been just trying to get better uh, with every meeting, with every single practice. Next, we'll go to Sammy Mora from the Daily Utah Chronicle. Morning, Coach. Um, how, what are you looking to see development-wise from the freshman class who did take reps last year in those five games jumping into this season where they're still freshmen? I still continue to build on their fundamentals and technique 
at the end of the day, it's all about fundamentals and technique. And, and, and that essential skill is something that you just try to hone. I mean, football, there's a, there's a vast of things that you can work on, but that's the basic building block. And so with those uh, freshmen that played last year, you know, I'm thinking about Tennessee, Puchutau, um, and, and Aliki Vimahe, and, and just those new coming classes, for them to continue to solidify their fundamentals and technique. Uh, we had kind of an abbreviated season, uh, last year, which gave them a, a chance to be able to get their feet wet a little bit. But now going through the full cycle of having spring ball, now they're able to get the, the sharpening uh, practices from a spring season that we're having right now. So continue to solidify their technique and also get a little bit more drenched in the um, in the playbook and, and understanding of the whole philosophy and how we play defense here. We'll go next to Steve Bartle, UteZone.com, followed by Hans Olsen. Morning, Coach. Uh, just uh, just a quick question with with Samote Peppa recently returning from his mission. Do you kind of have to take him and, and coach him at a different pace just as he gets back into the program since he's been on his mission the last two years compared to everybody else? Just I guess just how do you handle a player that's recently returned from his mission? Yeah, I mean, there's there's different elements of adaptation uh, for different type of players where they come from JC uh, in this case him being a missionary. So adapting him to physically, uh, you know, take the brunt of, of football conditioning wise, there, there, there are some things that you have to adjust, but these players adjust real well. He's done really well in terms of adjusting uh, Doug and his team in the weight room, do their best to uh, acclimate him to the, the physical demands of football. Uh, I would take extra time to be able to catch him up, um, but he's catching on really well. He's, uh, and it really just starts with the player and their attitude and their their vigor and their uh, their tenacity towards learning the defense. And he's he's coming with that type of mindset off of his mission, come back and, and kind of like Jaron Kump, just kind of just taking the cusp of it and said, hey, I'm going to take ownership of uh, his progression. And we just kind of assist him and provide the resources for him to, to, to get up to speed, to, to say the least. We'll go back to Hans Olsen. Coach, I'm always curious what a D-line coach thinks about the quarterback they're trying to rush and the running backs that they're trying to stop. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the quarterbacks across the ball from you and, and your thoughts on trying to stop up a couple of these transfer running backs as well? <laughs> uh, just, just playing sound and assignment football. Um, making sure that our guys are where they need to be. Uh, there's, there's obviously you're going to face a, a lot of dynamic running backs, a lot of dynamic uh, quarterbacks that have a lot of weapons. And so what you try to do is, is find a, a happy medium principle. I don't know if that makes sense, but a happy medium principle where you know that your guys will always be in position to be able to make a play. And so, you know, keep the ball in front of you, stay in the middle, containment, cutback lane, you know, be in the cutback lanes. And so you try to find those even keel principles that'll keep your guys in, in, in the best position to be able to make a play and not jeopardize them by kind of saying, hey, you know, it's all or nothing type of play. So it's finding those even keel principles, teach it to them and rep it over and over to, to, to put them in the best position to make a play. That was Sione Puha getting us up to date on Utah's defensive line. It's always good. So many guys in the NFL expected to be good again. Coming up next, we're going to listen to Joe Ingles. We have him on Thursdays. He will recap the Howering experiences with the plane, and we know what that went through. And also, he's got some stuff to raise money for autism. You need to hear that for sure. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Well, come on in, man. Thanks for joining us. DJ and PK. DJ's off on PK. Every Thursday, we talk to Joe Ingles. He was kind enough to join us late night, but yet he's still up early the next morning. And he's talking a couple things you need to listen to. Uh, the autism awareness that they're having throughout the entire month, raising money to help families in need with autistic children. We know that can get very expensive. They're having an auction. They're auctioning off, auctioning off items each day throughout this month. You go on Joe's Twitter, his wife, Renee Engels, their Twitter. They'll have a web- website there that they'll link to. And also the social media with Instagram, and you can bid on items and follow the link. They're going to have some cool stuff there. Here's Joe Ingles talking about all those things right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Hey, yeah! This is The Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joining us. Joe, today is your lucky day. DJ's out. You get PK solo. How lucky are you? When Jake told me that just then on the phone, I was about to hang up and just not bother doing it. So, you can hurt me, sticks and stones, buddy, but I know deep down you care. (laughs) So I uh, care a little bit about the show, not about you. I do it for the listeners. I do it for the people. (laughs) You are a man of the people. Uh, I saw you tweeted out something about, speaking of man of the people, can you tell us what you got going with this uh, family charity auction that's going to raise funds for the autism awareness? Yeah, um, I'm glad you asked because I was going to force you to uh, ask me regardless. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it's pretty, obviously, with Jacob's situation and, and what we've kind of dealt with and I guess understanding the financial burden, obviously, a very lucky spot, not for us, but for, for a lot of families and um, obviously being Autism Awareness Month um, in April, starting today, and Autism Awareness Day tomorrow, um, which is our game day versus Chicago. Um, I think, I mean, you guys, know we, we've tried to do something every year um, yeah. just to help other, other families and, and other people that need the financial support or their kid needs to get more hours of therapy or speech therapy or kind of whatever the situation is. So we're, um, we're auctioning a one item every day for, I don't, it's probably about, I don't know how many days are in April, but 30 or 31 days, however many days are in April. So um, one new item will go up every day, which myself, Renee, and, and a few other people will post on our social media. 
um, there's some some pretty cool stuff. Um, I don't want to kind of give it all away, but um, there is some kind of like jerseys, shoes, things like that, um, some Zoom Q&As and things like that, which is um, a bit more of a personal touch to sit there with Renee and I or, or other people um, that will come up in the next few days. But, yeah, well, one item per day for, for 30 days. Um, they stay live um, for a few days, so you'll, everyone will have a chance over the next five, ten days to, to bid on different items that they would hopefully like. Um, we've got some pretty cool stuff from the Jazz that they've donated, some Ryan Smith, um, people all over the place, a very, very good uh, NFL player with a, a signed jersey, which is, um, I didn't realise how big time this guy is, but he's reasonably big time. So, um, yeah, just a lot of different stuff. And then and all the proceeds are getting split between um, funding some, like I said, therapy and, and hours and stuff here in Utah and then the charity that we work with in Australia. So... Renee's social media. I know you've only got like 26 followers, but you can retweet <laughs> some of the cool things. Um, okay. Yeah. We had a pretty cool text yesterday from someone that will get announced, which is donate, just donating out of their pocket um, a very, very large sum, which is probably the sum that I thought we'd get for the month, but they've donated it themselves. So, um, yeah, some really cool things. Um if there's anyone listening that knows anyone that wants to throw a donation out, I'll happily take it. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's going to be cool. And like I said, it's just obviously something that we're super passionate about. And we, we want to be able to help some families. We, we get kind of reached out to a lot about um, situations that people are going through or um, through where Jacob goes. You, you talk to families and, and you can listen in their, their stories and their voice how, how, how much they're struggling. So... Um, anything we can do, if there's, like I said, anyone out there that wants to help out in any way, um, we'd be more than happy to uh, to try and figure something out. So, yeah, it'll be, be exciting. So the way it works is that they can find all this stuff on social media. Is there a website? How does it work for them to bid on these particular items to have an opportunity? And obviously the proceeds going towards the autism. So could you explain specifically what the people who want to be a part of it and want to bid on them, what they need to do? For sure, yeah. So it'll be um, a link, uh, a link to a website that we will post every day, uh, which will obviously, the link that we post every day will go to that specific item of the day. But then on that page as well, you can um, see every other item as well. So if you go on on Saturday, there'll be two or three items um, as well as the one that we post that day. So Okay. Go to the link um, that I'll I'll tweet out every day, um, which will be a little bit annoying because I don't like tweeting every day. But it's for, like I said, great cause. I'll post it on my Instagram. I'll post it on my Twitter. Um, likewise with Renee, and you can go to the link, and then you can um, you can obviously bid on the item. So there'll be there will be a starting price with every one that we okay. hope is reasonable. Um, again, we're not trying to like break people's banks but we are obviously trying to raise money as well so um if you can afford to uh, to, to bid on some things um it's obviously funny with the pandemic we're going through we're, we're trying to raise money so we understand people are in some some people are in tough situations as well with that so anyone that can bid um will be be happy to help and 
um, if things get bidded on that people want more of or anything like that, when we find out how many bids are going on, we can always add different things as well. It's it's our auction, so we can do whatever we want with it. So yeah, um, yeah there'll be a, a link to a website every day, um, and we'll make sure that gets posted on everyone's social media so that it's very easy to get to. Sure. Okay, and Joe Ingles' uh, Twitter handle is at Joe Ingles 7, and his wife is uh, at Renee Ingles, R-E-N-A-E Ingles, I-N-G-L-E-S, obviously. So look for that in the coming month. We're just getting started here with April, and so we've got 30 days, and you can bid, and the money and the proceeds will go to a phenomenal cause. Yeah, first one will be out today um, after I go in and test and get my day started we'll uh we'll send the first one out soon yeah cool look forward to doing that and seeing how much money you can raise and obviously a cause that is uh, dear to joe's heart and for a lot of people i mean all of us i think have uh are touched by it one way or another i've got a good friend whose son is like 14 years old has not spoken a word in his life and uh, has autism so and he's going through all that stuff and you talk about the yep. finances i've been aware of that because he's told me about all the stuff and all, all the stuff that, that needs to be done, and it can get pricey. So it's a great cause. Help out, and you can get some uh, items and some opportunities to do some other stuff here throughout the rest of the month. So look forward to that on Joe Ingles' Twitter and social media and, and bid as appropriate. And I'm sure they have some cool stuff. I know the Jazz will donate some it's good very stuff. Very cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, before we get to some specific basketball, uh, how scary was it with that flight for you? Uh, um, I mean, I laugh at the start there, but more from, uh, I don't want to say that I'm kind of just happy to be here, but it was for a, a, a good, I don't know how long it was in real time, but it felt like a long time. Um, I mean, it was, yeah, it was scary. Um, I've, I've talked about it now with a few of the guys, like, I, I mean, I've played professionally since I was 17 and I mean, playing professionally, you can probably think about how many times I've flown um, in that time and national team and going home every summer and, and everything and obviously the NBA schedule how, how often we get on a plane and um, oh, I've never been through something like that um, I think I don't want to say it got downplayed in the media but it wasn't like we hit a little bit of turbulence and had to go on an emergency landing there was there was people from the back of the plane saw the engine blow up flames everything like that um i sit right over the left wing which is the engine that blew um there was pieces flying off the engine you could see i think some people posted there's a big chunk kind of hanging off the the inside of the engine which we saw fly off um we didn't see the damage on the inside i guess until we kind of landed um I mean, the plane was tilted to the left, obviously, with, with the left engine being gone. Um, and I think that, I mean, for me, the scariest part, like looking out the window, um, was, I mean, you, everyone knows how big an engine is on the side of that kind of left wing. And it literally looked like the engine was kind of hanging on by a thread. Like it looked like at any point um, the engine was just going to kind of fly off the wing. And I mean, disconnect. I don't want to think about what what that does to a uh, to a plane if it, if it flies off but it was I mean I, I was texting Renee trying to hope that we had Wi-Fi at the time we, we usually have Wi-Fi on the plane but I don't think we were high enough at that point but yeah it started off with a massive 
like loud bang um, again, which I've I've never heard in my life on a plane, uh, which kind of shocked us all. And then, yeah, like like I said, I mean, I, like I for my kids' life, like I, I for a good few minutes there was like we're we're going down. Like there's, I don't know if there's an option we. Maybe that's a part of me. Obviously, again, not not being in a situation like that before, but um, I think everyone on the plane at some point for for some amount of time was um, praying or or whatever they were doing, hoping that we were going to stay afloat. It was it was pretty scary. And then I think after again, I don't know the timeline of it because it felt like forever. But the the pilot came over eventually and and kind of explained what happened and. Him being as calm as he was was a little bit annoying because we were, we were all um, crapping our dacks, but everyone, the, the, when, he, when he was pretty calm and explained what happened and that we'd lost the left engine already and that we were obviously good to fly with one engine, which I had no idea about, um, I think kind of settled everyone down. So, um, yeah, very, very scary experience and... Um, I mean, I hope it happens to no one ever again because it's it wasn't fun. Um, I mean, I got in my car when we landed and drove straight home to to Renee and the kids, and um, was very glad I I got to go and do that because it was um, yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't kind of a laughing joking um, again like I said I, I don't think they purposely kind of played it down, but if you weren't on the plane at the time, you nobody would have kind of understood what we were feeling as a as a team or, or staff or whatever so um yeah definitely definitely rattled rattled the group a little bit so how many minutes into the flight was it and were you still able to see like the ground in salt lake in the salt lake area was it that close to the airport yeah it wasn't it wasn't long, long after we took off which um again like i don't know specifics of how high we were but we were we were pretty close like we could see the ground and stuff still, which again, I don't know if that's good or bad because we yeah. could see how close we were or if we had to land, like where, where we were going to land if we couldn't, but they were, they were dumping fuel. And um, again, I don't know the detail. You obviously can't land with the amount of fuel we had, um, I guess for the weight of the plane or whatever. So um, yeah, we kind of took off. Um, we had actually just kind of, dealt our first de- uh, deal of of cards that we were playing and um, it happened right after I think George dealt the cards and, and the bang happened and we threw the cards in immediately and was like yeah freak- everyone was kind of freaking out for a minute it was, it was one of those things that again you just I mean, not, not, if you've never been in that situ- situation or you're not a pilot that's been or, or an, a, a flight attendant or, or whatever it was um, so we kind of circled around I guess um, I saw like a flight map we kind of, I guess we kind of circled around and then was obviously once the, the um, pilot said we were going to be okay to land and should be fine landing and everything will be okay um, as the engine was blown and we were still kind of in air, in the air safely um, I think it settled everyone a little bit but um, yeah it won't be a uh, it was tough it was tough getting on the fly, uh, plane again a couple of hours later. Did you, during that time, did you make any deals with God? I was trying. I was trying to text text Renee the whole time. I 
which looking back, like, I don't know if that was the best decision or not, because she was, we lost reception for a little bit. I was kind of texting her like, yo, something just blew up and we're about to make an emergency landing or something I wrote. And we kind of like lost reception because we're kind of high enough to have a little bit, but obviously it goes in and out until we get to whatever the height is to get Wi-Fi, which we are lucky enough to have on the plane. And um, yeah, once we once we got uh, once we got high enough, uh, low enough, obviously the um, well, once we landed, sorry, I had all these texts from from, from Renee, kind of freaking out about oh yeah, what yeah, it was just because I I had enough reception to get them through to her, and then it kind of died, so I couldn't reply. Like it was just a like I said, it was once we got on the ground, I was off that thing and in my car and getting home as as quick as I could to to see them. So. Um, like, like I said, I I hope it never happens to anyone um, because it, it, it I mean it shows you uh, it showed us all I think how scared we could get in the situation, but also um, yeah, just a, a a very scary situation to be in. So I was thinking about this because of you being a pro at a young age and literally playing all over the planet, you've probably flown more or certainly as much as anybody on this team in terms of total miles. And, you know, you go back and forth. You haven't because of the pandemic. But since you've been with the Jazz, you've been going back and forth several times to Australia. And that's uh, thousands of miles, however, 10,000, however many miles that is. So if you say that, all that flying that you've done for all these years, you know, a good 15, 16 years, and you've never experienced anything like that, then that must have been an unbelievably terrifying experience for you personally since you are such a veteran of flying. So I can only imagine what your heart when I say, like, must have been. When I say I've never, never been, like, when, like, not even close to something like that. Like, not even, I remember one I think I was flying from uh, London to Melbourne or somewhere like that, and it was a long flight. Um, and I was kind of sitting back there with everybody, and I remember we dropped, like, the turbulence, um, or we hit a pocket of whatever it was, and we dropped, like, however far we dropped. Um, and that was... At the, I was, like, 15, 16 years old, and I was like, man, this, that was really scary, but we kind of, like... That was the, the only thing, like, I've been in turbulence and that doesn't kind of yeah. worry me too much. Um, but even, like, e- even yesterday I was saying to a few of the guys, like, if we had to, if that same situation was in a typical, a more typical Utah day, a, a windy day, a bit of snow, um, obviously people that have flown know how windy it gets um, kind of flying into Utah. Like, Utah and, and Denver are two places that are, horrible to fly into if it's windy or snowing or raining because of um, how kind of much the plane shakes like I don't know if that engine thing the engine would have stayed on if we were if it was a bad day weather wise in Utah like that's um, again like yeah no not nothing even ever close to, to what we went through not even anywhere close Joe Engel show brought to you by Cypress Credit Union uh, so Mitchell didn't get back on the plane did you think about it yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody thought about it. Um, I think as soon as we we landed, a few of the guys were like, "I don't know what the NBA rules are, but can we forfeit the game?" And 
we were lucky enough to beat them twice. Maybe we just give them this one win and, and <laughs> don't travel and give give the guys a couple of days to, um, I guess, kind of just relax and, and um, kind of realise what we just went through um, kind of as a group. So um, I, I felt a lot better, obviously, once we got on the ground um, and then being able to get in my car. And I mean, even driving right after was a bit uncomfortable just what we'd gone through but once I once I got home to, to Renee and the kids and I got to, to see them and, and actually get to spend I got to spend a few more hours at home and, and put the kids to bed and, and all that um, I was I guess a lot more comfortable and then um, kind of just hearing stories and people telling us like like there's there was flight attendants on our plane that have flown for 30 years and it's never happened to them so I uh, how rare an occurrence it is that, that, that what happened. Um, but if anyone in our team or staff said I was, like, wasn't comfortable going, I, would not, I wouldn't have questioned it one bit. And um, Yeah, I mean, if, if it was me, I would have hoped they wouldn't question it. I think everyone, everyone has things in their life that are kind of no-goes. Um, like if something ever happened to Renee or the kids or whatever, like I'm not, I'm not traveling. I'm not going to a game. There's no question in my mind um, with certain things that obviously take a much higher priority in my life over a basketball game. So um, yeah, I wouldn't have been whatever the word mad, upset, whatever, if we, with anyone that decided to, to stay back. So um, obviously his situation, like we're going to have to fly again. I mean, he's stated numerous times that he hates flying as it is anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we obviously got to get on a flight again on Sunday or Monday or something. So um, we'll see how see how it goes. Hopefully, he's he's all good, and um, I'm glad we kind of got to go there, play the game, and um, get a win and and get home safely. Yeah, so how big of a, of a gut check under the circumstances, just playing Memphis for the third time since Friday, then you factor all this stuff in and the emotional shaking of the nerves and all that, and I, I can't really imagine. I've been in a couple of situations. I've traveled a fair amount for work where I got scared, but I don't know that it's to that level where you literally think you're going down and then uh, you don't have your leading scorer, but you still find a way to win. I thought under the circumstances that was a gut check win. Oh, I was, I was very. Uh, it was, I guess, kind of one of the more proud um, wins we've, for me anyway. Like you, like you said, you throw in all the, the circumstances. Like even just, I mean, beating a team twice in a row is is hard. Like we've talked about it when you, we've had a few of those games where you play the same team like Monday, Wednesday, or, or whatever it is. So let alone on a back to back, those first two with a. Like, let's not get it twisted like they're a, a very good uh, I think they're young and they're still kind of probably finding themselves a little bit of the way they play and 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 kind of what works for them but they're they they play super hard they're physical um they obviously know like like jars their guy and they 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 play well together and so winning back-to-back games is is tough never mind throwing at, at Cleveland um who obviously we we kind of took care of Fairly easily, um, but still another game, and then and then, yeah, throw in the, the plane situation, and then go home. I think we end up flying out at like eight o'clock at night. We got in at twelve, one o'clock in the morning, 
went over, had a shoot around the next day just to kind of just to get out there and, and not be in the room thinking about what happened. And then not having Donovan, um, again, playing the, the same team for a third time, I, I was uh, like, I didn't say it to anyone at the time, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised if we came out slow or sluggish or, um, like you said, kind of that nerve-wracking feeling. Um, so, yeah, really, like, really proud of the guys just to pull out a, a level of, a win, but a tough win. It obviously got close there for, for the last quarter, and um, yeah, like I said, happy to happy to get that win, and then I was happy to get the hell out of there and come home. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. You know, it seemed like when you, you that was that stretch a couple of weeks back earlier uh, in March where you'd lost four or six, and the slow starts were. Uh, somewhat uh, of an issue. Well, now you talk about this one here, Bogdanovich hitting the threes early. You didn't have that slow start. Uh, is that more of a mental thing as far as, hey, let's make sure well, from the opening tip we're ready to go? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously we can be, and as you know, Quinn coach prepares us probably for, just as well or better than any other coach or team in the league. Like we, we know exactly what we're doing going into a game. We know what our, our scout is. We know what the team's doing, the players are doing. Um, obviously, we know what we want to do on, on both ends of the floor. Um, so I think it's just that mentality. Like There's teams you know, like Memphis is one of them, that they kind of like punch you first and they want to see how you react. And if you don't, then they're going to kind of run away. Uh, I think we saw it in the second half of one of the games. They they came out and kind of gave us one last push and got the game back, and we're obviously able to, to settle it. But, um, yeah, I think just mentally being prepared. And obviously we uh, – I don't know how many games Donovan's missed this year, but not many um, right. at all. Maybe maybe one more, one or two or something. So I think three total. We have, yeah, okay. So we haven't, we haven't been out there without Donovan – very often at all. It's usually been I missed a few and, and Mike missed a few. Me and him have kind of flip flopped in that starting role a little bit. So um, I've never like I've never started a game with Mike. I don't think since we've been here. So just just figuring out um, playing with him a little bit more. Like obviously I usually I usually sub him out as the first sub and then we play a little bit together. So just figuring out. Um, different times, again, to, to kind of be aggressive where I can be, where Mike can be, um, obviously where other guys come in and, and do their thing. So um, we had to kind of figure it out on the fly a little bit with, with the situation, um, which is obviously another reason why, why it's a good win for us, just to, to be out. I mean, you never know what experiences or situations. It was like Mike in the bubble. He, he gets healthy and he's playing well towards the end of the year and then um, obviously has the the birth of his, his third son and, and misses a few games. So you figure it out on the fly and um, it's what we had to do yesterday and we were obviously able to do that um, and, and get a win. So in the U.S., April Fool's, April 1st, April Fool's is a big day. Is it a, a day to pull tricks and pranks and people in Australia? You guys get into it? Uh, some people do. Um, there's no tricks or fools about my auction. I hope everyone bids as much no, as no, possible no, no. And, and doesn't fake me on what they're going to bid because um, I want it to be a lot of money. Um, but no, it's, um, I think as I've got older, it kind of slows down. You don't really think about it too much. But um, I think we always, you always end up seeing something on social media or something of, of something happening. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, 
it's a funny day. You can there's usually someone that's getting tricked. I hope they're not joking about us like testing this morning or anything like that. So because <laughs> um, <laughs> I've just pulled up at testing, and if I have to drive home after this, I'll be mad for no reason. <laughs> I don't think they did. I did say earlier, DJ's off today. We've been doing this show 19 years, and I said that he had quit and had found another job. And so some people believed me, and then I said, no, just April Fool's. So he'll be back next week. So you'll have both of us next week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. And then get on uh, Joe Ingles' social media and participate in some opportunities to win some cool, uh, I guess buy or donate money for some cool merchandise and things that they got going on for this Autism Awareness Month, right? It is, yeah. Definitely donating. I am – I can – Obviously, I promise everybody I am not taking a cent of it. It's 100% going to uh, to the, the charities and the schools and the, the places that it needs to go. So, um, like I said, I I also am very aware of the situation the world is in with the pandemic. So, um, yeah, anyone that can can afford to, to throw some, some bids out there would be much appreciated. All right, Joe, thanks. We know you got to go. Appreciate you coming on today, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right, that was Joe Ingles. Seven years strong, he's been coming on. He's faithful. He's a good player, good dude. We sure appreciate that. Coming up next, we got what's trending the night in the NBA, the Bulls coming into town to play the Jazz, Major League Baseball. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Clarkson drives, got the baseline clear, kicks to Ingles, left corner three, another for Joe! Holy cow, Joe Ingles, how do you do it? Four for five from three to start the night. Driving, pull Rudy, block shot, that's number nine. Rudy's new career high blocks. Rudy Gobert has nine block shots, will we get a triple-double, fans? Don works off the left-hand dribble. Off Rudy, lobs to Rudy, slam dunk Rudy! Donovan with a dime. So that was when the Jazz played the Bulls, which was on March 22nd, not too long ago, and they had no problem. They went into Chicago and won easily. Now they're looking to do the same at home tonight. The Jazz and the Bulls, and then they've got the Orlando Magic tomorrow. When you look at these two games... Should be ones that the Jazz should be able to win, right? The Bulls are 19 and 27, and Orlando is 17 and 31. Both of those ball clubs are on the outside of the playoffs, of course, because those records stink. And <laughs> no other way to say it. So, uh, what am I expecting of the Jazz tonight? I'm expecting them to go to 37 and 11. What am I expecting them to do tomorrow? I'm expecting them to go to 38 and 11. That's the way I see it. And I think that's the way most of us see it, if not all of us see it. Tonight's game, uh, the Jazz pregame, will begin right here on the Zone Sports Network with Jake Scott and Tim Lacombe at 6 o'clock. Both contests tonight and tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Should be fun times for those of you who are able to come into the arena. What are they up there? Over, over 5,000 yep, now, north aren't 5,000 now, yep. Yeah. So, for you who are fortunate enough to have tickets, come on down downtown. Find yourself to get time to get something to eat. 
and then go over and watch what we all expect to be W. So it should be a grand night, a glorious night, two nights actually, for jazz fans as we expect the jazz to roll. I haven't heard, but I'm assuming Donovan Mitchell will come back from his issue as far as the uh, not flying on the team plane after the second attempt to uh, get to Memphis the other night. I, I guess he'll talk about it. I'm not sure. Whatever the situation is, that's what it is as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I expect him to be able to play uh, two home games and then they go to Dallas and then Phoenix, a couple of road games. I'm expecting him to be involved in that. I know there was some April Fool stuff out there that uh, had tweets saying that he was not going to play road games the rest of the year. I assume that's not going to be the case. Uh, but whatever he's dealing with there, he's going to have to deal with it. Get him help or whatever needs to be done, have it be done. So there you go. Jazz tonight against the Bulls. You can hear all the action right here live on the Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. Aldridge, right of the lane, holds high, now bounces low, gives for Irving, they pick him up, and he'll fire it away anyway, and hits a three. And back out to Butler on the right side. Now Jimmy brings it up top. Jimmy's going to go to the basket, in, got it to go, and fouled by Oubre in a chance for a three-point play. Trey goes behind the pick. Trey drives down the lane. He lays it up and in. Nobody guarded him. He went in and laid it in, and the Hawks lead by six, and Popovich needs another timeout. Green, wrap around down low to Millsap. The quadruple team kick out three. Murray and he knocked it home. I'm sorry that people seen uh, that language I use. That's not really what I want people to see and hear from me. But um, hopefully I can move past it and get back out on the floor. Sure, you can move past it, Kevin Durant. You're Kevin Durant. <laughs> rules the rules, right? Some guys, some guys have different rules, and if you're good, you have other rules. So. Yeah, the language that he used, eh, uh, some spat with a comedian. I don't understand what the point of it was. I didn't honestly, uh, to tell you the truth there, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. Uh, but the apology, and I heard it, went back and looked forward, uh, looked past on it and saw what it was about. Wow, what are we doing here? But they'll just leave it at that, whatever it is. They thinking some guys can get away with stuff and others can't. That's the way it's always going to be. As far as on the floor, the Nuggets beat the Clippers. Nice win for them, man. They're rolling a little bit here. Everything is bunched up as far as the middle of the Western Conference goes. You know, the, the Jazz are three games over the Suns, and then the Suns are game and a half over the Clippers, or actually two and a half games over the Clippers. And so uh, the Clippers are 32 and 18. Lakers are 30 and 18. Denver is coming on strong. They are also 30 and 18, and then Portland is just a half game back of those guys at 29 and 18. So there could be a lot of jumbling going on there as we get forward. The Denver Nuggets have won four in a row. They are eight and two in their last ten. They're undefeated. I think they played three three games with Gordon. They put him in the starting lineup and moved Millsap to the bench. Millsap's days as a starter and his productive big time player are over. I think he'd probably only have what I don't know what his contract is, but maybe a year or two left to go. Uh, and uh, Aaron Gordon is filling a need for them. I don't think he's a great individual player, but I think the team needed somebody that he, like him, and he is filling it in. 
for what they need, and they go to Los Angeles to get a nice victory over your Los Angeles Clippers, right? Yeah, so we'll see what the Clippers can do here. Uh, Rajon Rondo has not joined them yet. Interesting. I'm interested to see how that's all going to play out there because there's some big teams there, big, big talented teams, and Denver seems to be hitting their stride, so I would put them in that category. That's second round in the NBA playoffs. There are going to be some pretty good teams going home. And that's the way it should be, right? Make it mean something. Uh, the Nets won. Harden's out, but they continue to roll. Aldridge, they slid him into the starting lineup. And he played well. And that was just against the Hornets. Hornets don't have ball. He's out, and that's, that's a big blow to them. Obviously, he was the, going to be rookie of the year and was playing very, very well. Spurs, Spurs sliding. Hawks get them in a double overtime. They also had the Magic and Pelicans in overtime, if you're interested in that. Magic won that game. They come here tomorrow. That's the only reason why I was interested in that game. Uh, he beat the Warriors. Uh, Warriors hmm, kind of muddling around there right now. They're out of the playoffs. Uh, I suspect uh, two games under 500. I don't know that they're going to get in. San Antonio is in a little bit of free fall, as I said. So uh, where are they going to finish? Can they hold on to that eighth spot? That's two games above 500. Now that's interesting as it pertains to the Jazz down at the bottom of the standings there to see who can end up uh, playing. Assuming the Jazz hold on to the number one spot, which we all think they're going to do, who is their first-round opponent? I couldn't tell you right now. I don't know. There's teams there that are jumbled up, and then they've got that playoff or play into the playoff, I call it. And so we'll have to see what happens. That's We're probably not going to know that, right? Not have an idea anyway, right down to the end. Obviously, with the play in, we won't know it until those games are accomplished and over with. But I can't really say which team I favor as for which teams I favor as far as getting in there. Need some more time. And we've got about uh, five, six weeks to go before we get to that point. All right, that's here. That's your NBA right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Hashtag college basketball. It's been a thrill. It has been unbelievable. I've loved it. It's coaching, and that's all I've ever wanted to do since the summer after my ninth grade year in high school. No one has ever enjoyed coaching like I have. Everybody wants to know the reason, and the reason is very simple. Every time somebody asked me how long I was going to go, I would always say, as long as my health allows me to do it. But deep down inside, I knew that the only thing that would speed that up if I did not feel that I was any longer the right man for the job. I'm not going to say the best man because I never thought I was the best at anything. But 15 years at Kansas, I thought I was the right man. And this time at North Carolina, I thought I was the right man. I no longer feel that I am the right man for the job. Yeah, that's Roy Williams, man. Laying it out there. I listened to that yesterday afternoon. I thought he said it, uh, told it like it is, I guess. He doesn't feel he's the right man for the job. He's 70 years old. The time comes for everybody, right? Unless you die on the job. So he's 70 years old, getting out. Time's running out when you're 70. It's just the way it is. It's the way it was set up, the way it's set up to be. Go ahead and step down. Somebody else will get in there, and you can, however much time you have left, go ahead and enjoy it, Roy. That's a long time. You talk to 
coached at two premier institutions. And that's cool. He said that the summer after his ninth grade year in high school, he knew what he wanted to do, and he went there and did it. It's like me when I first heard talk radio and sports talk radio in the early 80s. I thought, man, I would love to do that. And here I am getting to do it. It's awesome. It'll come a time for me, and I'm sure I'll, it will be bittersweet like it is for everybody. I was thinking about this, man. you got to put North Carolina's men's basketball, that job, has got to rank right there with any job in college basketball. I don't know if there's any job better. There may be jobs that are just as good but better. I can't imagine that there's any jobs better. We were thinking of that guy who coached uh, after Dean Smith stepped down. Yak, it just came to me. Bill Guthridge took over. That's who it was, yep. <laughs> and then I think they had Doherty, and uh, then they ended up with Roy Williams here as when he came home from Kansas uh, and took that job because that's where he left to go to Kansas from was uh, North Carolina, and he was there for a good long while. And so it'll be interesting to see. Do they stay in the so-called Tower Hill family or they go outside? There's no overwhelmingly obvious candidate. Like Roy Williams was the overwhelmingly obvious candidate when he took the job. But I don't think there's anybody who just screams, you've got to go in that direction. Hubert Davis is on the staff, and they've been saying he's a leading candidate, but... I would think that they'd pretty much be able to get anybody they want. So yeah, this we'll is take a, this is a top three job in all in all college basketball. You can get whoever yeah. you want. Yeah. So I'd put uh, Kentucky there. Uh, you know, Gonzaga. Uh, I don't think Mark Few has a shot at leaving or is interested at at all leaving. But Mark Few has built that place and just to a beast. And speaking of that. They're playing tomorrow in the Final Four. Uh, first up, you got Houston and Baylor. That's at uh, 314. And then after that, uh, they need half hour, 45 minutes, whatever they do before the next game. You see Los Angeles at the Pac-12 versus the West Coast Conference. That should schedule to be around a little after 630. Uh, and you can listen to both of those games right here on the Zone Sports Network. So I'm excited for that second game. The first game... I don't. I mean, I'll watch it, but I don't. Not really intrigued by it. Whoever wins wins. My guess is Baylor wins, but I can't say that for sure. I still, and I think Gonzaga will win. We'll have Ken Pomeroy coming up at 8:30 and get his numbers take on this game, and see what he thinks about both of these teams as far as that goes. And I'm excited to see Gonzaga finish it off. I think they can. I think their their lineup is just that good. I saw a thing where Suggs was saying he may come back for a year. Did you see that, Yak? I saw that, but I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a top five pick. Exactly. He's going to make a lot of money. If he comes back for another year, I would be literally stunned. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that was some April Fool's or what was going on there. Uh, and why would he make that decision now? Uh, sure, his game, every one of these kids can use more seasoning in their games, but when that money's on the table and you're going to be picked that high, I think you got to go. So I'm very intrigued now going forward here. Can Gonzaga pull it off? I think they can. I think they go undefeated and get the job done uh, as far as that goes. And so excited to see that game and uh, tomorrow night. College basketball right here, 97.5, of the zone. Hashtag NFL. 
talked to him last week. I know things are going well. I don't want to put an exact timeline on it right now because mm-hmm. I don't want to set expectations one way or the other. But uh, I know that things are going very well. That's your general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Jason Light, on Tom Brady's knee surgery, saying things are going well. Uh, they made it sound like it was a minor surgical procedure. So I expect him to be fine. Something's going on with the Chargers. Still hard for me to call them the Los Angeles Chargers, but I can since it's written right in front of me here on the rundown that Yach puts together. Dean Spanos' sister petitioning in the California court to put one-third of the team's ownership stake up for a sale, contending that mounting debt from the franchise is creating an estimated yearly loss of at least $11 million for the family trust, man. Uh you know, I talk about how opening day are the best two words in sports. <laughs> how about family trust? I was say, is family trust up there? Boy, would I love to have a family trust. I ain't got no family trust. <laughs> Gordon makes fun of both. me because I talk about my father being a janitor. Uh, he dropped out of high school. And Irish back in back east. Now, that's my grandfather. Irish need not apply. I know we all like to play the victim, but uh, my grandfather had to go through that. And the job you can get was walking the beat as a cop. And guess what job he had? Walking the beat as a cop. Uh, uh, My two sisters, they fought over the opportunity to get the club that my grandfather had. Not a trust. There's no money involved. But each of them wanted that as an heirloom because they, unlike me, because my my. Irish grandfather died when I was like two years old and they're older they're way older than me and they had a relationship with him I had none I do not remember it at all Uh, so that club that he would carry meant something to them because they used to go both my parents worked my entire life and so they used to go home after school to my grandparents house on the Irish side so they got to know my Irish grandson, I know my Irish grandmother very well. She was like 90 years, 98 years old. In fact, I was living in Utah. I moved to Utah in 93, and one week later, she passed at 98 years of age. So one week into it, I was gone back in New Jersey for the funeral. Uh, so I certainly remember her. I did not remember my grandfather that much. But the family is squabbling over the family trust. It's good to be the Spanoses, huh? We'll see what happens there. That's your NFL right here at 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Swung on, bounce towards third. It's yes. over, Riley's headed down the line, and the ball game's over. Gene Segura has won it. First ball swinging. He singles to left, and the Phillies walk him off on opening day. 3-2 to two over the Atlanta Braves. 3-1 pitch, and Osmer strokes that one out to pretty deep right field. Smith going back at the wall. He leaps, and it's going to go. A home run for Eric Osmer. 3-1 San Diego. Here's the 2-2, and Bregman crushes one deep to left field, and you can't kiss it goodbye. Back-to-back checks. First Brantley, now Bregman. 5-1 to one Astros. Infield in, runners all around, nobody out. Three balls and a strike. The pitch to Fraley, and it's well outside. It's a walk-off walk on opening day 2021. Incredible. An amazing comeback for the Mariners. Watch a lot of baseball yesterday. There's games on ESPN+. Plus. I have direct, and they have the free baseball package for the first week of the season to entice you to buy it. 
So all those games were available for me to watch. So I'm flipping around like crazy going back and forth. Dodgers and the Rockies. Beautiful day. Gorgeous day in Denver. And that crazy game. I don't know if you saw that. But Bellinger hits what looks – well, it was a home run. <laughs> it was a home run. Yeah, Tapia goes back. And I think the wall in left field must have a little platform at the top because he catches it, but this glove smacks it, and the ball goes out and goes over the fence. So he's going into his home run shot. Meanwhile, Justin Turner has rounded second base, thinking the ball's caught. Then you got to go back, touch second, get back to first. So he's got his head down. And, man, it looked like a little who's on first routine there because he, I don't know, I guess he never saw uh, Turner or uh, Bellinger. And so he passes Bellinger going back to first or Bellinger packs, passes Turner in his jog going to second. And the rule is a single in and out, and then they allow Turner to score. So instead of a two-run homer, it turns out to just be uh, a single for Bellinger. So if he comes up one run, one home run short, of beating Barry Bonds, well, he can look at Justin Turner. Justin Turner had his head down. I don't think he ever saw him. Uh, so I don't know what you do there. Sort of a uh, an honest mistake, I guess you could say. Uh, just the nature of the play. But it was a flukish play right there. And the Rockies win. Dodgers lose. Kershaw, you start to wonder if he gets done. He got pounded up pretty good. I don't, uh, I don't think he is where he used to be. So we'll, that'll be a developing story for the Dodgers going forward. He's a free agent after this season, too. He's pitched a lot of ball for the Dodgers, obviously. He's so 33 we'll now, isn't he? So. Yeah, he's 33. Uh, but I think it's like uh, you know, the, the number of innings gonna, and all that stuff. I was going to say, he's, he's been thrown. an absolute workhorse for a decade. Yeah, yeah. so he's given them a lot of great games. And is, he's, is he slipping? Is he at the end? Madison Bumgarner is at the end. There's no question about that. He got pounded. The Padres, Padres won, beat the Diamondbacks eight to seven. They're up six to one. Uh, the Diamondbacks, I think, in the fifth or sixth inning, hit four home runs. They set a record for most home runs in an inning on opening day, and then for the Diamondbacks as a franchise, and they went up uh, seven to six. But then the Padres scratched out a couple of home runs and won the game there. Neither pitcher, Hugh Darvish, got hit around a little bit, too, in that game. Uh, some of the stuff, we heard the Braves losing to the Phillies. Gene Segura, the Phillies got to make a move here. Uh, Noel is a great pitcher for Philadelphia. I don't know if their staff is good enough. Uh, they lost Arietta back to Chicago. The Cubs lost. How about that, man? 32 degrees that game was played in. It was sunny. Uh, but <laughs> they lost that game five to three. Uh, the pod uh, to the Pirates, and then did you see Detroit? <laughs> well, Miggy Cabrera hit a home run, but <laughs> did you see it because of the snow? Yeah. The snow's come. Good old Detroit. I got family who lives back there, or extended family, my wife's family, and yeah, he hits one to right field, and it's not. I mean, it's like not quite white out, but it's coming down pretty doggone good. It was a good flurry. And he can't see it. He can't, so he slides into second base. He literally slides into second hey, Mickey, it was because a he doesn't know run, where the dude. ball is. <laughs> and then, then he gets up and he looks and they tell him it's a home run. And so then he continues and he jogs around the other two bases for his home run. That was funny. I don't know why you're playing games. Nothing in, says opening uh, day like a snow flurry. Yeah, in Detroit of all places. I mean, you could barely get a good day's uh, weather in May, let alone April 1st. 
So they go down. Blue Jays beat the Yankees. That was the first game. Uh, and then the Mariners with a nice win. We just started that to walk off walk. Zach Greinke pitched six, six shutout innings. He's a guy I thought was hanging on. The Angels beat the Athletics uh, as Mike Trout. or did I, White Sox. Beat the White Sox, excuse me. I knew it as soon as I said that because I was watching that game too. Uh, Mike Trout with a tie, game-tying single, and Otani scored the winning run. Now, I was watching that game, too. It was a foul ball, but they said the exit velocity by Mike Trout was 112 miles an hour. Man, is a fa- he got around on it so fast. It was a fastball, and he just tagged it, but it was foul. And he actually ended up striking out. on that particular bat, but he's a fun player to watch. The Cardinals just pounded the Reds. Goldschmidt and Arenado combined for six hits. I mean, Goldschmidt had four of them. Those two two guys anchoring first and third are big-time studs. A lot of baseball. It's opening day. We won't break it down as much as we did, but since it was opening day, I I was having fun with it. Nationals continue to have some COVID issues. I don't think they're playing today against the Mets. We'll see if they can get out on the field tomorrow. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up right around the corner here when we come back, we'll have David Locke. You know him as the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. Brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And then at 8.30, I said... Uh, Ken Pomeroy in the 905 will talk to the Bulls play-by-play. Adam Amin, we'll see what they got, what he has to say. Bulls are, they've got a couple of decent players, but they're certainly in a rebuilding stage. Stay with us. It's all coming up next, 97.5, Trollady of the Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick of The Athletic. Not to take the spotlight off the Jazz, but I think they're sharing that spotlight with the Nuggets. Those two organizations have been on somewhat similar tracks. You know, they have incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot with Gobert and Jokic. They've got wings, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, that are wildly talented, but kind of face some skepticism about those playoff moments when that little hesitation when it matters most could be the difference between a win and a loss. And Denver and Utah have kind of had similar stories there, but the Jazz to come out of what happened last year and seemingly be stronger and better as a team is really impressive stuff. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back in just a little bit after 7.30 on this Friday, April 2nd. DJ is off today. He'll be back with us on Monday. Right now we got David Locke. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the uh, Murdoch Auto Team, as it always is. Mr. Locke, how the heck are you? Good morning. I'm good. I'm so glad to know that you were not on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and that you're not getting arrested. Makes me very happy. I can't guarantee you that I won't get arrested, but I can pretty much guarantee you that I will never be on the Housewives of Salt Lake yeah. City. <laughs> Is this um, who's who's his who's his, her husband? Uh, Sharif Shaw. You're speaking of uh, mm. yeah, yeah. Sharif Shaw's know, wife got arrested on some fraud charges, and she uh, married to Sharif. He's obviously the cornerbacks coach. At Utah, great speaker. Love to hear him speak. Uh, has L.A. roots. Played at Dorsey, which is uh, over there in uh, Los Angeles yeah. area. 
And then also, too, Dave Rose's brother and uh, second wife are on that show. I don't oh. know if you knew that. Are they involved in this whole? I'm not real well versed on this whole thing. I was really just reading about it like five minutes uh, ago. Like the Skype call that they either. couldn't, the Skype call they couldn't get off because too many people got on it for the arraignment yesterday. It's like, like the great pandemic. Like, I don't know. It's kind of to me. It's like the confluence of, and I, I know this is serious for some people in our community, evidently. So, but um, it is really the confluence of like pandemic. America obsessed with bizarre things and social networking all converging in one time so that a judge can't. So I don't know if you read this, but I guess they had like some arraignment or something yesterday, but they have to do it by Skype because of the pandemic. Then because it's real housewives and Bravo, like the world somehow figured out where it was and got on it. Maybe it's open to the public for the media and they all got on it. And then the woman who's getting arrested got somehow got knocked off, but there were too many people in the Skype, so she couldn't actually get back on to be arraigned. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's like it's like too good to be true. Nope. I have to admit, my television viewing, I'd say it's probably 90, 95% sports. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. Like, people always ask me, like, what shows are you watching? I'm like, the NBA? Yeah. Like, right. What's... what's I watched Denver Clippers for a while, and I watched yep. yesterday's Chicago Phoenix game. Phoenix won again. That really, you know, bummed me out. Like the first time I watched it, Phoenix won. The second time I watched it, Phoenix won. Oh well. Well, they played the Hawks and the Bulls this week, and the Jazz right. have the Bulls, uh, obviously tonight. Uh, I mean, the Levine has come on. Uh, they made the trade with. Uh, Vucevic, they're the center for Orlando, who's a nice player, played at SC, so I've watched him play for a number of years. And I believe Donovan is a decent coach at the NBA level. Uh, but right now, I do not expect them to win. And I think the Jazz, the next two games, I, mean, I, I expect them to win. I don't, I don't really think there's uh, any, any doubt about it that they, they win both of these ball games. How about you? Um, I mean, I still probably in the school of like you just never know. Um, but I right, understand I'll buy that. that. Be, yeah, they're heavily favored in both games. Um, Vucevic is really a fascinating player. So, you know, we're all watching. For those of us that are junkies, we're all watching, and you're trying to figure out like just the really fundamental, easy question of like, well, does he help you win? Like he puts up really good numbers and he's really quite a good player and he's hard to guard. And, you know, I always think there's two factors when I look at an NBA player and try to evaluate him. And one is the Gordy Chiesa quote, like there's like, what about him makes you say, Oh, beep. Like, you know, he always talked about in the draft, but also like when you're scouting for him in a game, what makes you go, Oh, beep. Right. Like, so Kyle Korver, like was really obvious, like it's the way he, the way he shoots and you got, Oh, beep. So, Vukovic obviously has some O-beep factor. Like, he's hard to prepare for. He's bringing the defense out. He plays. He can really score it. But, like, did he help you win? Did he help his teammates get better? He's a pretty fascinating case because he's put up these really good numbers. It's always been on a bad team. It's always been somewhat understandable that it's a bad team. But, uh, you know, but on the other end, like, Aaron Gordon gets traded and seems like a really nice piece, and Evan Fournier gets traded and everyone gets excited. And, they've, and so, like, is there – I don't know. I've just never really been quite sure. Like, I understand he's a good player and he puts up good numbers. and he's, So he's capable of putting up numbers. And right now it's really interesting because he goes to Chicago and obviously they have to figure it out, but they haven't figured it out in the first few games. They got blown out, I think, by Sacramento. They lost 
to the Lakers or something. They lost to the Suns. And simultaneously, Orlando's actually winning games. Like, Orlando got rid of Aaron Gordon, Evan Fournier, and Nikola Vukovic, and now all of a sudden they're winning games. Like, it's a really strange kind of thing to look at. I'm going to be very curious to see how um, Chicago does over over the next little period of time. Zach Levine's been marvelous this year. He's as efficient and productive and positively influent, impactful as any offensive player in the whole NBA. He's on the injured list today, so we'll see whether he plays. Um, but he's real. I mean, he's really great. He has he has the whole OS factor. His defense is leads a little to be desired. And so he actually kind of fits into the same kind of grouping of players that, um, do they, you know, do they help you? There's so very few PK like that's, I think really the story is so you're Chicago and you're a new GM and you've got Levine his contracts coming up in a year. And you got to decide, like we do a full rebuild. He's likely to leave in free agency. And then, and then we've lost everything. Or do we add this player and we give up two first round draft picks, but like how many players are there in the NBA that actually really impact the outcome of a debt game on a given night, like at a pretty dramatic level, night in and night out. There just aren't that many. You know that voice? He's David Locke. He's probably the most famous voice we have on the Salt Lake City, Utah airwaves. And that's interesting you say that about the Bulls and the departing guys from the Magic because that's exactly the way I felt about Aaron Gordon watching him. He just played one year down in Tucson in the Pac-10, and then he's gone. I guess maybe it was Pac-12 by then. And so then he goes off. He's got all sorts of athletic ability but he wasn't really helping them win. But yet now in Denver, I think he's a missing piece that they exactly what exactly what they needed because Millsaps at the end of the line, they slide him into the starting lineup, and I think they're like three and four and maybe since he got there. I think from that perspective, sort of like Hornacek back when when the Jazz picked him up, it was. And he wasn't necessarily maybe a great individual player, but as far as a piece of the puzzle, it looks like I'm not following the Nuggets day-to-day the way we do the Jazz, but from a distance I'm certainly paying attention to them. And it looks like he's that type of player that you talk, that you speak about there departing the the lineups for the Magic, and we'll see what they do in Boston and Chicago with those trades. But for Gordon... You think that he's an excellent fit as far as what Denver is looking for and elevates Denver's possibilities? So I've got kind of three takes on this. Uh, so let me try to see if I can be concise. That would be a first. And then let me see if I can make sense out of it. So the first thing in regards to the trade of Aaron Gordon to Orlando, he's filling a void. I think that's the biggest thing that people miss on trade deadline is when they talk about acquiring talent and who got what. Right, right. You know, like you go back to the Lakers when they grabbed Pau Gasol. He replaced Kwame Brown, who at the time was the worst starting power forward in all of the NBA. So then they got, not only did they go, they went from worst to best. Paul Millsap and Jermichael Green, combination of power forward, was about 25th, 26th, 27th on the list of power forward of what they're giving their team right now. So he's filling a void, um, which is a huge step up for Denver. Two, um, you know, if Aaron Gordon is willing to be a complimentary piece rather than a star, right? So he moves past that I was the fourth pick of an NBA draft and I've gotten a huge salary and I have to be the man because he's just never shown to have the skills to do that and is willing to be a complimentary piece to Jokic and Murray and Porter, then he's pretty fabulous because they were, I watched them last night, they're really long. Really, really long. 
um, and he adds to that. The third thing on this, though, is I think Denver's been a title contender the whole time. Like, I'm not a guy to – I'm not allowed to gamble on the NBA, and I'm not a gambler anyway. Um, but, like, I've been looking at the lines for championships with pretty regularity, like, wondering why is Denver – like, I think Denver and Utah have the same odds to win a championship. Like, I would put them – if I was a gambling person, I would put them into the exact same. The Jazz are, like, plus 600, and Denver's, like, plus 2,200. Like, I don't get it. I don't know what, why everyone's, like, I think they're fabulous. They have the MVP. They've been a little up and down this season, but it's a weird year. And I think that they're, we're a title contender, top four team, five team in the Western Conference this whole time. Um, and I would probably put them equal to the Clippers as a title contender, equal to the Jazz as a title contender. And so they added Aaron Gordon, and they're still a title contender. The other thing is, right now is that their schedule is crazy soft. They're going to win probably, I think I wrote it down the day of the trade deadline, they're going to win 13 of 15, and everyone's going to think it's because of the trade. They're going to win 13 of 15 because they're good. And I don't know that it's because of the Aaron Gordon trade, right? So last night was actually probably not one of the 13 of 15, so let me take it back. They're going to win 14 of 15. And last night was a really impressive win, and they looked every bit as big as the Clippers. And the Clippers didn't have Serge Ibaka last night, but the Clippers are mammoth. And they look every bit as big as them. So, I, 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 you know, it's a big jump in the right direction for them. I mean, they've got Murray, who's 6'3", Barton, who's like 6'5", Porter, who's 6'11", 6'10", Aaron Gordon, who's 6'8", 6'9", and Jokic at 7 feet. That is just a big, big lineup. I mean, if you think about us, we're starting 6'1", 6'1", 6'4", 6'7", 6'6", 6'8". And seven feet, like we're we're going to be dramatically smaller than them at every position. All right. Well, after thirty-two games, though, they're only seventeen and fifteen. So, what do you expect the odds to be at that point? Yeah, I get. Yeah, I just think they're great. I mean, I think they're really like. I think they're one of the elite teams in the league, and I just haven't been bothered by the way they're playing this year at all. So, um, you know, Jamal Murray started the year funky. They had some injuries. Paul Millsap was clearly a void that they've now filled. Um, Michael Porter Jr. missed the first. Um, they had all sorts of internal issues with integrating Michael Porter onto the team. Um, and then Michael Porter got COVID or was on the COVID protocol, but I think he actually had COVID. Then he had a hard time coming back from it. So they just went through a lot this year. Um, I do think, you know, I don't mean this to diminish what we're doing. What we're doing is really incredible. We're one of the, like, 12 best regular season teams in the history of the NBA. Like, it's amazing what we're doing. I do think that there's some level where we're going to see that regular season this year has maybe less correlation to playoffs than usual. It's just, you know, there's a lot going on this year. Um, So we'll see. So you've got Denver finishing maybe as high as second? Uh, I think they'll make a run at it, but I think Phoenix is probably – I think 1-2. I feel like in the NBA right now in the, that 1-2 is set, so it's Utah or Phoenix. Um, Phoenix got a really soft schedule coming up right here, and then at the end of April they go east and they play a four-game stretch against – or five, four or five-game stretch against – I think they play like Philadelphia, Milwaukee – Brooklyn, New York on a four game stretch. And then they come and then they have a, in Boston, that's their five game East coast road trip. Like if they come out of that at three and two, they're still in play. And then they play us the next night or maybe the Clippers and then us the next night at home. So I think by April one, uh, we'll probably know, or excuse me, May one, we'll know where Phoenix is. Um, but I think that jazz and Phoenix are one, two, I think Clippers, 
Denver, Portland are three, four, five. Is that right? And then the only question is whether the Dallas Mavericks can catch the Lakers for the playing game, which I think is unlikely. Um, but I think the Lakers end up at six. Uh, Dallas is at seven, and then it's a combination of Memphis, Golden State, San Antonio. I keep waiting for New Orleans, to, but for the fifth straight year, they just continue to lose. Yeah. So the situation with Donovan Mitchell, is this a one-shot deal, or is it going to linger? Uh, way out of my pay grade. That's all you got to say? I mean, I don't know why he missed the game. I can put two and two together. If that's the case, that is dealing with a anxiety issue, and I don't know anything about that. Like, that's just like... I can talk to you about why Donovan's gotten so good with off the pick and roll and how he's playing with ease and why the game looks more comfortable to him and how we're seeing a natural progression in the fourth fourth year of his year and how Mike Wells at halftime made a fascinating point to us about the amount of information he's able to take in right now from different sources and not have it impact his game. But I can't tell you a darn thing about that. So they always have Wells on the halftime thing. Is that correct? That is correct. We had Vince Lagarza so, for a little while. He did a great job when Wellesley was out for a little bit. But Wells has been kind of is the halftime staple. It's really a, it's pretty awesome. Like I don't know, um, TV and radio are different. And um, but I mean on our radio broadcast, what Mike Wells gives us at halftime is pretty incredible stuff. Like for if you're a fan of the team and you know a junkie and really love the game and want to know what's going on. You know, I would tell you that there's two times in our radio broadcast you should listen every night. One is right before tip-off when Ron Boone gives the shoot-around report, and the other time is Mike Wells at halftime. Then you can go listen to Bowler and Harp and Thurl the rest of the time if you want to because you avoid me, and that's probably good for you. But those two segments on our radio are, are really incredible because of the insight Booner has and connections he still has to know what the game plan is every night. And then Wells just gives it, like, building off of that, I mean, Wells really just gives us amazing detail of what – you know, adjustments they're making and where what they're doing. It's 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 great. I love it. Does he travel with the team? He does. Okay, yeah. He did, because not, I, he did not during the bubble last year for some family purpose reasons. So he right, actually joined right. us last year in the fourth quarter of games, which was even more amazing, right? right? To have like an assistant coach who basically knows the whole game plan on the air with yeah. you while you're good. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember. And then I've seen him, he does uh, both on this year. So I was wondering, he's very good, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I usually try to flick over, and then the, uh, Kristen interviews him, I think, there at halftime. I think she's the one who does it. And so, yeah, I'm always paying attention. I mean, the uh, truth is that I just steal Kristen's questions. Nobody knows this. Oh, this is, that is the truth. Okay. Well, we're on the, same, we're on the same Zoom. So KK goes first. I just take her questions, and, and, I, and then I, you know, so. Okay, that makes sense. That's actually the truth, yeah. I didn't realize how that worked. So yeah, we're, we're on right. the same zoom. Well, we'll hear you on uh, the call tonight. I'm expecting two wins. I like next week's schedule a little bit with Dallas and Phoenix, uh, two playoff teams for sure. So that'll, those will be fun. And, and I agree with you. Every game is its own entity and it's not shocking that they could possibly lose, but obviously they're heavily favored to win both of these games. And I expect them to get to that point and then we'll roll in the next week and go from there. I mean, their focus night in and night out there, it's been pretty incredible. That Memphis win was, that was, well, that was really something. Be a team three times in five days and have all the stuff they've been through. Like, right. Uh, and, and, and the one that gets me is like, I get really fr- 
frustrated as the play-by-play announcer. I shouldn't, but I do. Like when I know that they're lacking focus and when they're not executing the plan and like things like that. And they, that was not the case that night. There was very, very few mental lapses that night. Physical lapses, sure. They may, you know, you make a mistake and turn the ball over and drive the lane and get caught in the air and throw it back out. Those kind of things happen all the time. But, you know, John Morant, they had a very clear game plan on him. And for the most part, they executed. He's just great. But, you know, they had very clear things they were trying to do, and they did them well. All right. Hey, we got to go. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. See you, bud. All right. That's David Locke. You can hear him, obviously, tonight as the Jazz get ready to take on the Chicago Bulls. At 7 o'clock, we will have the pregame show with Tim McComb and Jake Scott on the Zone Sports Network starting at 6 o'clock. Well, the Jazz got 16 games this month. What do you think their record's going to be? Stay with us. We'll get to that next. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Number one. Make us your number one preset. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotting and The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Our hot takes, our toast question of the day is brought to you by Jerry Siner Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Siner Cadillac. Definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. How about that? Jerry Siner Cadillac in the market for a Cadillac. You need to go to Jerry Siner for sure. Jazz have 16 games in the month of April. Tonight is the first one. What are they going to do in April? Now, Locke, do you buy that theory that uh, maybe this year's postseason won't be as reflective of uh, the regular season as it should be, as it normally is? Because it's funny, B, we make, I don't know we make fun of it, but we sort of take the regular season as a bunch of slew of games that are somewhat meaningless, but then at the end of it, you got the standings, and it's usually the top one or two teams that represent the teams uh, from the respective conferences in the finals, right? So we sort of blow off the regular season, but at the same time, the standings, and I'd have to look and go back and check every single one of them, they're usually true. It's like uh, you don't normally get a sixth or seventh place team or sixth seed, even a five seed, that gets to the finals, the NBA finals. Maybe they can get into the conference finals, particularly if there's an upset along the way on the other side of the bracket. We saw that years back when the Jazz, uh, who was it, uh, Denver upset Seattle. Is that who it was? And so then the Jazz got Denver. And then also, too, didn't they benefit from uh, the situation where, uh, was it the Warriors beat Dallas? And the Jazz were on the other side and took advantage of that and got to, to, to didn't have to play the one seed, play yep. the seed lower than them. Yeah, Dallas got upset as the one seed. Yeah. So sometimes that can happen. I mean, but it's rare because I, we just, I just recalled two times. It's not like it's happening all the time. So I don't know that I buy Locke's theory, to be honest. I think he has a tendency in all truthfulness to try to soften the blow if the Jazz should lose because he is fully invested, as Bronco would say. I don't have that emotional attachment whatsoever. I want him to win because it's fun. It's good for business. 
But if they lose, they lose. It really doesn't affect me either way. If they win, they win. It doesn't affect me either way personally because I'm not, I don't have that connection. I don't know these guys. I don't want them to win so desperately. And I just I have no personal investment in any of their lives the way he does. So I think he has a tendency to try to Lou Holtz it and build up the other guy. And Denver should have just as much. The odds should be just the same between the Jazz and Denver as far as winning it all. Now, he may end up being right. But I see the Jazz, I mean, at this point, they got the best record in the league, man. And this year, the best record in the league doesn't really count as the best record in the league. Of all the years, the Jazz get it. They've only had it one other time. <laughs> and now, uh, or at least in the conference, that's really all you need to worry about for now. Uh, as far as that goes. And now it doesn't really count. I think it counts just as much. And, the, and it is a funky season to a degree. I understand that. But I think when you win all these ball games and you're putting the ball in the basket the way they do and shooting the way they do and, and Rudy's defense is legitimate, as I don't, I don't care what the season circumstances are around the season, Rudy's ability to defend the basket and move around and do what he does and alter shots and chain shots and block shots and prevent shots, I think that's legitimate as it comes. So with that in mind, they've got 16 games in April. What do you think their record will be? Adam, 16-0, and 0, baby. I expect the Jazz to win every time they step on the floor. All right, two different things there, what Adam is saying. I do expect them to win every time they step on the floor. I do. That's where I'm at with this team, expecting them to win. I think they're that good. They've proven they're that good. I can't believe this year your record isn't what it's supposed to be and it's you are who your record is. This year, no. I mean, I understand uh, the Lakers, but, you know, the Lakers got their own issues that I don't think that it's compared to the Jazz. And if the Lakers are healthy, yes, they're going to be the favorite when they get to the final or the conference final, assuming that the, the two, whoever they're playing, they get there. I don't, maybe they don't get there. Uh, but I think they're going to be the favorite. But the Jazz, they haven't built this record on the strength of beating a watered-down Laker team. That doesn't really count. Lakers have their own issues, but that's irrespective of what the Jazz are doing. They're not playing the Lakers all the time, right? Now, uh, they do have the Lakers later on this month, twice they go to Los Angeles. It's on a, uh, April 17th, so that's uh, two weeks from tomorrow. And then they're off on – that's a Saturday, and then they're off on the Sunday, and then they play them again on the Monday. Uh, I don't expect them to be full strength by then. So they can pick up a couple of wins of Jazz against a watered-down Laker team, fine. But they're not 36-11 and 11 because they've beaten a watered-down Laker team 33 times. So – no, I don't buy that. It's not true. They're not going to go 16-0. and zero, But at the same time, do you not expect them to win every time? Or are you just uh, too much of a Jazz fan? And it, that, I think that's how you can judge your fandom, is how apprehensive you are, how nervous you are about these games. The more nervous you are, the more apprehensive you are. I believe it correlates to the more of a fan and the more your emotional investment. And I think all fans do this. They try to set themselves up 
to uh, soften the blow. Did you happen to see that Russell Westbrook thing with uh, Stephen A. Smith and Smith calling him out because he's not winning? Yeah. And then Westbrook going on and saying, well, I'm a winner in life and all. To me, I think he should have just done what Donovan Mitchell did with Shaq. I. Yeah, don't give those guys life because then Smith comes back and that's exactly what they want. Believe me, I'm in this business. So then he comes back. What's his, his, his what's the name? Is it on first take or whatever their first take, name yeah. is? Yeah. So then he comes back with a response because Westbrook and Westbrook's wife puts out a long, uh, basically, response to Smith criticizing Westbrook for essentially just putting up numbers but not winning. And both Westbrook and his wife go at Smith. Well, then Smith turns around and goes back and has a rebuttal to the rebuttal. That's awesome. That's exactly what they want in this business. Westbrook should have just said, all right. <laughs> Hashtag content. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that was a dream come true for those guys because now they, they said something, and then they can come back and they can give the story even more legs. But I also think the athlete, it's the cold uh, Malone story. This isn't going to ruin my summer. Like you're trying to set up that it doesn't hurt. It does hurt. Why not just say it? Yeah, I would. If I don't win a title, I'll be disappointed. Rather than throw the money at us, yeah, you're making enormous amounts of money that your people, your family, by people I mean your family, you never have to work if they don't want to. They'll never have financial worries. How must that be? I have no idea. Most of us have no idea. So in the game of life, and I've been saying this for 19 years, when it comes to pro sports, there are no losers because they're making money. And money is where it's at. And the ones who have it, they like to lecture you about it's not that big of a deal. Good for them. Uh, and, and you can find ways to be happy without all sorts of money. But uh, I, 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 I just don't understand why soften the blow. Just say, hey, like, uh, I'm, I'm not doing TV anymore. I, I miss it. They had layoffs. I got caught up. I miss it. Why well, say, oh, well, I'm glad I don't have to do it. No. Be honest. Be honest here. And I think that's what the fans do. So they want to soften the blow by saying, eh, really not that good. I get it. You're a fan. You've got that emotional investment into your, into your team. 16 games. What is their record? I will tell you what I think their record will be. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. I'll tell you about the Dyslexia Center of Utah. Get your foursome together and sign up today for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dys- dyslexiacenterofutah.org. Dyslexia Center of Utah dot org. All right, talking about the Jazz, a new month is behind us. The penultimate month of the season. Yeah, we're getting there. Excited to get there. Jazz have 16 games this month. What are they going, my friends? What do you think they're going to be? Expect them to win every time out? I do. Will they win every time out? No. 
But I believe in his team. I think it's legitimate. I think at this point here, they have proven legitimacy. They have earned the right to be number one. Now, to some extent, absolutely health is factored in. And we have to assume when we get to the playoffs that these teams will be healthy. I buy all that. So that doesn't make them the overwhelming favorite. When you got the Lakers sitting over there with LeBron and Anthony Davis proven, you go that way. Tony, to be honest and real based on how they've been playing the past 12 games, I will say 11-5. and five. But if Bogey gets going, it will be easily 13-3. and three. That's an interesting concept when you think about that with Bogdanovich because he hasn't been going. So you talk about you know these teams that made trades, and I agree with Locke. Denver looks really good, and Aaron Gordon was what they needed. And he's not a superstar by any stretch, and I agree when we had Locke on here last hour. He's talking about how if – Gordon gets past the fact, okay, you're the fourth pick of the draft, whatever it was, you're not going to be this superstar. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I agree on that. But he can be a vital piece on a really good team. Then you have Mike Smith. We had him on uh, earlier in the week, and he was saying that, you know, he thinks uh, Aaron Gordon, I'm trying to recall it accurately, is a nice piece, but he's looking at Porter, Porter Jr. to take off. Porter Jr. takes off, then they can be good. You know, he had the issues in college, sat out, I think, his first year. And so what would be this his second year since he's been in the league in terms of playing? And maybe he's a little bit better piece. If he gets it going, Denver's going to be a tough out either way. Uh, I totally agree on that. They've underachieved in the regular season, and they're starting to get it going now. And once you get to the postseason, uh, what you did in the regular season, if you can overcome it, then it doesn't matter. So the Jazz, the point I'm making is the Jazz didn't have a big pickup uh, close or near or at the trade deadline. But if Bogdanovich can play more consistently than the way he did last season, then that's sort of a pickup because you haven't been getting the production that you've been getting from him in the past, right? So you follow that train. Does that make sense, Yach? You get what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, I follow you. Yeah, so if he can increase his game, then that's sort of like getting not a new player, but you're getting production that you didn't have. And that's essentially what Aaron Gordon is providing the Nuggets. They're getting production that they didn't have. Now, it is coming from a new player, so it's a little more obvious and easily identifiable. Uh, well, so, just to ahead. kind of talk about what you're talking about with with Bogey in particular, you, you realize how long ago it was that we've seen Bogey playing at like the quote unquote peak of his powers. It's a year ago. We have not seen him since before the season was disrupted yeah. last March, and he, he was out for all of the bubble. He's been struggling to come back this year. He's had his moments, obviously, but he's not right. where he was at previously. And that's no. and if you can get that back, yes, you're right. That's a, that's an instant upgrade. Yeah. And is it going to come? Uh, I don't know. I can't say for sure uh, because I've been looking. I see signs. We saw it uh, the other night with uh, Mitchell out. Yep. He comes out. Man, he hits the threes right off the bat. Gives them exactly what they needed to be competitive early. Uh, and it was 5 of 12 from three. I pretty much take that just about every game from him going forward. Uh, five threes. 
Obviously, that's a huge addition. So that will be something, Tony, that I agree with what you're saying there, that that is something to watch. If Bogey gets going, the Jazz can be easily 13-3. and Eric says, looking at all the games, I'm expecting 12-4. and Depends on LeBron and AD. Jazz have a couple of games against the Lakers. Right. Two weeks from tomorrow is the first of a two-game series. So two weeks from tomorrow on the 17th, they play in Los Angeles, and then they're off the Sunday, and then they stay right there and play the Lakers again on the Monday. They play every Monday in February, or February, every Monday in April. And that's the second. My guess is those two guys are not back. They've got to be closer to getting back. The Anthony Davis thing, uh, I went uh, on the air right off the bat. I know somebody who's in, to, in touch with Laker people. And when he went down, he said, uh, they're going to downplay it a little bit, but this is serious. It's going to be a long term in terms of this season injury. And so far, yeah, it is. Because it's been a while now. You know, he was going to be out two weeks before the All Star break, and then they would look at it. And uh, all right, we're, we're getting to be a month past the All Star break now. And he's still not playing. That's what Mike Smith was saying, too, earlier in the week. Keep an eye on that because he has an injury history. And last year he was healthy in the playoffs. Well, he had three months off before the playoffs. Exactly. And so he had plenty of time to get his body where it needed to be. It's unfortunate for him, but he's had injury issues. And the Lakers come back down to earth big time if he's not playing because I don't think LeBron can do it. Smith was talking about – in terms of winning it all, this was the weakest team that LeBron had. Yeah, he says the supporting cast was yeah. the, the worst he's ever played with. And right. That's kind of significant coming from him considering some of the supporting cast we've seen LeBron carry to different heights. Yeah, and he took that one team that got swept, I think it was by San Antonio in the finals yeah, that way Cle- back when. That Cleveland team. It was like 2008, yep. somewhere in there. Mo, Mo Williams was yeah. their second best player. Okay, and they played in a watered-down Eastern Conference. It's amazing that the Western Conference has been the better of the two conferences for now for well over a decade, but that's clear. It is. Uh, so he was able to get through there, and then they got swept, but they didn't win it. In terms of winning it, Mike was talking, Mike Smith, jazz broadcaster, longtime Clipper broadcaster, was talking about that was the weakest team he had to win it, and a lot of it was dependent upon Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis had three months off. Not going to have three. Well, actually, he will have. He could have three months off, I guess. It's just yeah. that nobody was playing during that time, as opposed to we're playing now. So that's something to to take a look at and watch as far as that goes. A lot of middle of the road, thirteen and three. Gwen, thirteen and three, with the fist sign. She's added Rob fourteen and two. Man, they go fourteen and two. It's funny because how about this? Do you buy this? The more they win, the more pressure it builds in the postseason. Oh, absolutely. Because if they go fourteen and two, man, what's that put them? That freaking nearly an eight hundred percent winning percentage. And David Locke joins us last hour talking about Jazz right now. Statistically, one of the 12 best regular seasons. I'd have to see what those other teams were and where their finish was in the postseason. 
So uh, I'm not suggesting that the Jazz should throw games to take the pressure off. Pressure is whatever you make of it and how you respond to it. Uh, Some guys respond to it better than others. Other guys, uh, I mean, they want it. And if the Jazz continue to roll, and they've won seven in a row right now, should go to 9-0. We come back here Monday morning, should be 9-0, the winning streak. Stretches to nine. You have multiple double-digit win seasons in a 72-game season. That's pretty doggone impressive. Uh, so with that in mind, that amps up what the postseason is going to be. But that's fine. That's good. Fine. See what you got. And the more people that doubt you, the more people you could say, ha-ha, if you do it all and win it all. I mean, if you don't, well, then they're going to say, see, I told you. There's somewhat of a no-win situation, too. If it's either win the title or you choked, and that's hard to get there. But that's where they're going. That's where they're definitely going. As I look at the schedule, we'll just run through it real quick. We've got Ken Pomeroy coming up, talk about the Final Four. Next, you got, I, these two I expect them to win. So, I get, so I'll go through the wins. Chicago and Orlando. Yes. Sacramento, yes. Washington, OKC, yes. So what, I got five. Indiana, yes. Uh, Houston, at Houston on the 21st, yes. So that's seven. Minnesota, they got a two-gamer, same thing after the Lakers. The following week, they got the two-gamer with Minnesota, although they're both not in the same location. It's a home-and-home. I expect them to win both of those. So that's nine. And then another game at Sacramento, that's 10. So minimum, uh, what I said, 16 games. So minimum 10 and 6. Can we all agree on that? The questionable games, maybe the 50-50 at Dallas, at Phoenix. Portland at home, am I okay with Portland at home? I think they should win that, but Portland at home, man, when you're facing Lillard. I was going to say. And, and McCollum and those guys can go for 75 between them. The firepower, man. And we don't really blink an eye, man. If they're on, I mean, if Lillard's on, he's as dynamic as anybody in the league. I think we would all agree on that, right? Uh, the Lakers, well, if, if Davis and, and LeBron are not playing, then I got two wins there, but I don't know that situation. And then two ball games at Phoenix. Phoenix uh, on Wednesday, this coming on the 7th, ESPN game. And then the last day of the month. So four weeks from today. They close out the month on April 30th with a ball game at Phoenix. Phoenix is interesting to me, man. They're an interesting case study. Seems like everything they did for so many years was wrong. You realize how many top five, top ten draft picks they've whiffed on? Josh Davis, Alex Lynn, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. These are all top ten picks. And funny, like the Jazz, obviously the Cantor pick was not a good pick. Right? Just not, They get Burks later on in the draft. Uh, and they haven't had that many top 10 picks. Hayward was a good pick. Uh, but then they score on Mitchell and Gobert. 
They were not top 10. Obviously, they should be top 10 picks, but they weren't. And so it's sort of the same thing with the Jazz, or the Suns, uh, only they've whiffed on so many of them, man. They should have been much better earlier. Uh, here, they get the number one pick with Aiton. Did they whiff on Aiton because Doncic was sitting there at three? I don't think they whiffed. But obviously they should have taken Doncic. There's no question about it, man. It's a thousand times better. At least they're getting something. Marvin Bagley for Sacramento seems to be hurt all the time. And they don't think that he's uh, putting up the production when he's healthy. Uh, so Sacramento, big time whiff on that one. Aiton is contributing. He's not asked to do a whole lot now. Booker, Booker was not a, I think the, he was like 13, 14. I think the Jazz went uh, 13 and they took Lyles and then the Suns took Booker and they were going to take whoever the Jazz didn't take. Thankfully for them, the Jazz took the lesser of the two. Lyles hasn't done a whole lot. I think he's sitting on a bench in San Antonio. And then the Jazz, uh, the late, uh, excuse me, the Suns swoop up Booker. Booker's a player. And then they've got some nice pieces around him. Mikhail Bridges was a decent draft pick. And obviously the trade with Chris Paul and away you go. So my guess there on paper, I would think that uh, I would give that a split with the Suns. Both of those games in Phoenix. Suns win both of those games and do what they're probably capable of doing the rest of the way, man. Maybe you got to consider the Suns. I think we'll know more about Phoenix uh, at, at the end of the month. So I'd go split there. So right there, I'm up to uh, basically 12 wins. And if I give them Portland, that's uh, 13. It's hard to find losses in this 16-game schedule in this month. Dallas, I think at Dallas... They're one of these teams that uh, any given game is dangerous. Porzingis, decent player. Is he available? Will he play? Because he's sort of in and out of the lineup. Doncic you can count on him. He's a foundation piece. I think he's first team All-NBA. There's very few players in the league I would take above him, particularly when I factor in he's like 21, 22 years of age. Can he get better? Well, as I watch him, it's hard to imagine that he can get better. But if I look at his age, I'm thinking, yeah, there's no way he doesn't get better. So that'll be a fun game on Monday. That's a 5 o'clock game on our time, which I thought, I guess this year, usually the uh, the NBA gets out of the way of the college basketball, but not this year because that's uh, finals night, yeah, right? Yeah, I think with the tighter schedule, they, can't, they, they just can't, can't do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing is that the college game, I, don't, I haven't seen the time. Normally it starts about 7 o'clock our time, doesn't it? Uh, Typically, as far as yes. that goes. Yeah, so the good thing about the Dallas game, and maybe, this, maybe so, maybe they moved it up an hour because that's uh, 6 o'clock Central time, be 5 o'clock our time. That's like an East Coast game in the Central time zone, and maybe they did that because of the NCAA final. So that's cool. I won't have that big of an interruption. And speaking of the college final, we got Ken Pomeroy coming up next. Give us his numbers take on what's going to happen in the Final Four. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick of The Athletic. Not to take the spotlight off the Jazz, but I think they're sharing that spotlight with the Nuggets. Those two organizations have been on somewhat similar tracks. You know, they have incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot with Gobert and Jokic. They've got wings, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, that are wildly talented, but kind of face some skepticism about those playoff moments when that little hesitation when it matters most could be the difference between a win and a loss. And Denver and Utah have kind of had similar stories there. But the Jazz, to come out of what happened last year and seemingly be stronger and better as a team is really impressive still. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday morning. Good Friday for those who are inclined to think about that stuff. And I'm one of those guys. Easter is Sunday. Spring break for a lot of people. Weather's supposed to be good. Life is looking up, and let me tell you, it's looking up even more. Now that we got Ken Pomeroy, he is college basketball analytics expert and proprietor of KenPalm.com. Kenny P., how are you? Ah, uh, PK, it's great to be on. What an intro, man. You're, <laughs> you're the king. Uh, king of intros. King. The king of all intros. There you go. So we got the final four coming up excited particularly excited for the Bruins and the Zags you know obviously they have a a local connection in that they're in the conference of the Utes and the Cougars and can Zaga go can Gonzaga go uh what are they 30 and zip right now can they go 32 and zero what an accomplishment that would be what is your take on that game individually well, I think the Zags certainly are, are living right in order to pull an 11 seed in the final four. That obviously helps. Um, that said, you know, UCLA is obviously playing better than an 11 seed in order to get to this point. But still, uh, the Zags, at last I checked, are a 14.5-point favorite, which, uh, as far as I know, is, is unheard of in the final four. Um, so, uh, so it should be a... You know, a fairly lopsided game. I do think, obviously, Mick Cronin has the if he has the power. It's the power to make the game particularly ugly. Obviously, we're just coming off a game where uh, you know they played a, a Final Four or an Elite Eight game that had a grand total of a uh, hundred points um, against Michigan. So, uh, so the game that's the, probably the one path to keeping it close for UCLA is just mucking it up, keeping the game close, slowing down the game. You know, that game against Michigan had 59 possessions, which uh, was one of the slowest games in, in the tournament this year. And uh, and that's probably going to be critical again. Obviously, much more difficult to do against Gonzaga with Jalen Suggs running the show. I mean, that's the, the thing. You can look at a Gonzaga stat sheet and you can kind of see, you can kind of envision like little ways to, to keep the game close and make it interesting. Gonzaga's not a team that relies on the three-point shot. If you can force them to take more threes, you know, maybe you'll you'll have a chance. But nobody's been able to crack the code on that. And certainly it wasn't USC who... Uh, you know, has more length up front than anybody, and, and they cannot find a way to keep Gonzaga out of the paint, keep Jalen Suggs out of the paint, who you know, is just a magician with the basketball. So so I guess all that's to say that I'm glad this game is first. It's uh, kind of the appetizer. I'm not looking forward to uh, – I guess it is uh, – is it first? Is it, is it the first No, game? it's second. It is second. the second game. So Yeah. Well, make some plans for your Saturday evening, alternative plans, because the second half <laughs> may not be terribly interesting. Oh, so you're expecting that this line is going to hold true then, meaning that uh, Gonzaga wins going away. 
Well, I think they either win going away or if somehow it is close, it's going to be just uh, not entertaining basketball. It's, you know, it's going to be USC milking some or UCLA milking some shot clock and, uh, you know, keeping the game sort of artificially close, but not close in a way where you're like, ooh, this, this game could go either way. Like, you know, it's Gonzaga winning by, by eight or by six on some late free throws or something, but um, not, uh, you know, not ever trailing by any sort of significant amount. All right. I'm swallowing some food here right now. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you should have given me the signal. I could have extended that answer a little bit, I guess. I'm good. I'm good to go now. Uh, with that in mind, you know, you talk about Gonzaga not being reliant upon the three. Well, we go back a couple of weeks to BYU building a nice lead against Gonzaga in the first half down there at the West Coast final, and they hit threes. How about the Bruins hitting threes? Do you think that if they should, A, should they just try that, try to steal what BYU did, now caught up to the Cougars in the second half, and obviously they did not win the game, and Gonzaga won by a fairly comfortable margin. So do you think the Bruins should do that, and are they capable of doing that? Yeah, the Bruins Bruins should do that. They should do what BYU did. Except for two halves, uh, I don't. What was BYU in the first half of that game? They were like eight to eleven or something from three. It was something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean that's you know that's the way that Gonzaga will fall if they fall. Um, you know, it's it's going to be to outstanding shooting and you know, more likely outstanding outside shooting. Um, uh, UCLA is not really. They don't. They don't have the profile to do that. They're not a a great outside shooting team. Uh, they uh, of the three remaining teams are the team that easily takes the fewest three-point shots. They're ranked 300th in terms of the percentage of shots that they take from three-point range in all of college basketball. Um, they do have a few guys that can shoot it. I mean, you know, you look at the, the stat sheet, Jaime Hawkes is a 39% shooter. Jules Bernard is a 39% shooter. Um, but both of those guys have only taken about three shots per game this year. So they're just not prolific. Johnny Juzang is the most prolific shooter. He's taken about five a game, but you know, he's only made 35%. So the issue is, you know, they aren't a prolific outside shooting team. They don't have a lot of guys that uh, take a lot of shots. But I do agree with you. Like, if if there is going to be an upset of Gonzaga, it's going to be uh, through that path. We saw BYU, you know, do it and really have Gonzaga on the ropes. I mean, they. I don't think Gonzaga's been in a situation this year uh, like they were against BYU at the half. So, um so that will be the path, but uh, that path probably will have to occur in the title game and not in the semifinal game. Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com joining us. Gonzaga pulls this off, which I think they will. I don't think it's a big stretch uh, to assume that. <clears throat> I don't know that they will, but I think they will. Uh, what do you believe as far as going down as one of the all-time teams? Yeah, I mean, you have to put them on that list. The only other, you know, there might be, uh, you know, some, some naysayers, you know, that mentioned that the season was a little bit shorter this year. I mean, they're going to end up playing uh, something like, you know, five or six fewer games than the normal team would have. Um, that seems like kind of a lame excuse. Uh, um, they obviously tested themselves pretty severely in non-conference play this year. So, you know, if they did have those mythical five or six extra games, you know, four or five of them probably would have been against inferior competition anyway. So I think they still would have pulled it off. But just in terms of, I mean, it's not, 
there's no real fluke here, just in terms of what they're doing. I mean, what we've seen in the NCAA tournament is uh, is who Gonzaga is. They just have not really been challenged. I mean, not only undefeated, but they really haven't been challenged in the last minute or two of a ball game. You know, people will maybe you know locally talk about that BYU game and they'll say, "Hey, wow, that was really a test," you know. But even that, like, that was close for like 38 minutes, but it wasn't really even a test in the last minute. Like, the game was over by that point, um, which is pretty phenomenal given how. Um, Gonzaga started that game, so uh, I would certainly put them in that in that category of the all-time greats. Uh, obviously, in the modern era, you know nobody's been able to f- pull off that that undefeated run, and I think for for good reason. You know, it's not it's not 1976. You're not playing a 27 game schedule. The NCAA tournament is structured completely differently than it was then. You know, where back then it was uh, you know only the conference champs uh, getting in, and obviously uh, select at-large teams picked on a regional basis um now you have just a much stronger field and a much, a much more difficult task to win it all and i think the the cherry on the top would be if they got to play baylor in the final game because for most of the season people have felt like you know baylor is really one of their not necessarily one of the best teams of all time it's only one of the best teams of the last 20 years and just kind of picked the wrong wrong year to have to win a national title because obviously you have Gonzaga, who is you know, one of the best teams of all time that you have to get past ken palm Joining us, yeah, they were going to play in December, if I remember, but uh, who was it? Gonzaga had some COVID issues, so the game did not get played, speaking of uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. So I'm assuming that Baylor wins this ball game against Houston. I haven't watched a lot of Houston. I've seen Baylor play a number of times. Big 12 is a great conference as far as basketball goes. Uh, what do you make of that first game? Yeah, it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting story because Gonzaga and, and Baylor were obviously going to play, as you mentioned. Gonzaga and Houston were also going to play uh, here in Salt Lake City at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe in like mid-January or something like that. But uh, uh, Houston ended up uh, thinking differently about that game, and, and that didn't happen. Um, but that game, uh, that first game, will be a lot of fun. Make an appointment to watch that, I think. Um if you're if you're a fan of offensive rebounding, it's kind of interesting. Roy Williams obviously announcing his retirement, and people uh, talking about his career yesterday as the, the head coach of North Carolina. And, and prior to that, Kansas, uh, the one thing that Roy Williams' teams did more than anything, people talk about how they play up tempo, but his teams crashed the glass. And Baylor and Houston will be paying an homage to Roy Williams in that first game because uh, you got two of the top 10 teams in the country in terms of offensive rebounding. Um, I, you know, like you said, Baylor, I think the, the clear favorite, but Houston is a fun team just because they concede nothing. You know, they do not concede rebounds uh, defensively. They'll concede every pass. They'll challenge every shot. They're not a super talented team, but just their attitude is so much fun. They're really tough. And, uh, and they've kind of gone under the radar. The problem is that Baylor has a very similar approach. They're just better at everything. They're, you know, more like a Big 12 version of, of Houston where they're just, you know, they have better athletes. They're bigger, longer, stronger. And uh, and they're also a the best three-point shooting team in the country, which Houston will shoot the three a lot, but they're just not a great three-point shooting team. And they kind of make up for it by getting offensive rebounds. Baylor um, won't shoot three quite as much as Houston, but they will – make those threes to the tune of 41% this year. So um, so that's really what, what drives Baylor's offense. But it's not just that. You know, they're, 
they can get you know they have a great front line and they get a bunch of offensive rebounds and uh, um, they're kind of a machine as well, especially when the defense gets firing, which uh, um, it has done lately here in the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm joining us. So go ahead under the assumption then on Monday night it's Baylor and Gonzaga. What do you got there? Well, you have one of the best national title games that we've ever seen uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what those two have accomplished during the season. I mean, you think about it, it's really, you know, one versus two in most people's minds. And, you know, you go back through the history of the NCAA tournament. And I think people, you know, when the brackets always revealed, especially, you know, in the last uh, 15 years or so, when they really seeded the top two teams, you know, you think, oh, wow, if this is one versus two, that's going to be a great game. And, of course, rarely, rarely happens. But, um um, so it, uh, that would be what would, I think the first thing is noteworthy um, about this matchup. You know, the other thing is that, uh, again, Baylor's defense would really have to rise to the occasion here. I mean, I think all year long people have thought that it it could. They had, you know, a COVID pause in February and came back from that, and their defense all of a sudden was nowhere near what it used to be, and it's still probably not where it used to be. But um, if it can get back to that peak form, I mean, they have – you know, five guys, they can basically, you know, switch everything defensively. And that, again, is is crucial to contain Jalen Suggs, who, like I said, is a pretty much a magician with the basketball and a magician in terms of just getting into the paint and, and breaking down a defense. Um, you know, if you can contain him, then things get a lot easier defensively. But there hasn't been a team this year that has really figured that out. And Gonzaga has scored – at least a point per possession in every single game they played this year. And as I've been tracking this in the last 20 years, there's only one other team that has accomplished that. Uh, and that oddly, interesting enough, was a North Carolina team in 2009. So, um, so that's kind of the track record for Gonzaga's offense. It's uh, literally unstoppable, at least to this point. Speak of Suggs, you've brought him up multiple times. I made a statement last week that I feel Suggs will go down – as to date when he gets there and give him a year or two to get his feet under him, but he ends up being the best Gonzaga NBA player that we've seen to date. I think that would put Sabonis in that category right now, and they've had a number of guys, necessarily not not been stars, but there have been a number of guys who've played in the league for a good long while, Kelly Olenek-type players. Do you buy my theory that Suggs and him be the best uh, NBA pro to come out of Gonzaga? I do. I do buy that. I mean, I think he'll certainly be the, the highest draft pick. I mean, the guy is just like, you know, when you think of one and done, you don't really think of guys like Jalen Suggs. If you were just watching Jalen Suggs and you didn't know anything about him, you know, you wouldn't think he was a freshman. Um, you know, he's just, he's so skilled and um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I will say the one thing, like we talk about like kind of tasks for, for Gonzaga to get upset is Suggs is like surprisingly foul prone for, for a point guard. You know, you, most of your point guards, you don't think of uh, as getting into like regular foul trouble or whatever. And not that he gets into regular foul trouble, but again, for a guard, he does get into foul trouble occasionally. I think that happened, maybe even happened in the first half of the BYU game. Um, so uh, that's something to watch out for. He picks up a couple early fouls, maybe you can get him out of the game that way. Um, but to get back to your point, yeah, the, the the kid's amazing. And that's where this Gonzaga program is really, you know, taking the next, you know, kind of the next level. That They used to be 
a team that had, you know, kind of fringy NBA prospects. Uh, balls like a Linux, even a Linux was, you know, I think he was redshirt his first year. He wasn't necessarily expected to be a solid NBA player, but, um, you know, they got some, some surprise guys like that. But now they're getting, like, they're recruiting the best players in the country. Um, and that appears to be continuing into next season. So they've really kind of graduated from being this, like, mid major that's getting players that nobody else wants and kind of finding diamonds in the rough to, to now a situation where they can go uh, against the best schools in the country and, and really get the players they want to build a, a super team like they have this year. I sort of see Suggs, and this is outrageous, but that's what I'm known for as a, a taller, a taller Chris Paul. Yes, yes, a much taller Chris Paul. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. That's not outrageous, DK. You're going to have to do better with oh, outrageous takes. Dang. Okay, uh, <laughs> better than magic. <laughs> <laughs> Did I up the game there? (laughs) You told me to be more outrageous. That's the best I got for you. (laughs) That's pretty good. That's pretty good. My only rule about player comparisons is never compare anyone to Draymond Green. So uh, as long as we stay away from that, I can work with you. But, uh, yeah, he's probably not better than Magic. But uh, but he has a lot of fun to watch. Well, you're the one who said he's a magician with the ball, not me. So you you brought up the Magic. (laughs) That's true. I need a I need a different term, but uh, wizard not refer to the magic man. A wizard with a basketball. Yeah. So you put that in my mind. So I'm blaming you. And so what's the deal with uh, CBS and TBS? They're just ripping you off. <laughs> yeah. What is the deal with them? I mean, it is kind of it's kind of weird. You know, they are basically. I mean. You know, my buddy Seth Davis gave me some gave me some shout outs uh, last week. But during the broadcast, like they're broadcasters, I mean, I don't know what their game prep looks like, but whoever like feeds them stats, uh, it really doesn't tell them that they're getting a lot of their stats from me. And so they'll just you know they'll mention these like kind of very very specific numbers that you I'm pretty sure you can only get from like one location on the internet. And they'll build entire narratives or their games around this. You know, you're watching like North Texas and Purdue and it's like, Hey, they do this well and that well and blah, blah, blah. And they're ranked 38th in the country of this. And, uh, <laughs> and then they just have a question where they get, where they get that from, which I think is like, a, you know, would be a nice courtesy since their entire like broadcast is really dependent on that number. So I've known cats for about 25 years. Is he one of them? Cause I can jump on him. <laughs> If uh, if if he's ripping you off, you let me know, and I'll get in touch with him. No, Cass is Cass is a good dude. I uh, it's mostly like I said, mostly the the in the game, you know, the announcers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Studio. It's not studio, studio stuff. No, the studio guys do a pretty good job. Uh, okay, but it's, yeah, it's like you know, I don't want to call out anybody specifically because again, I don't necessarily think it's their fault per se. It's you know, the producers or whatever are just feeding them numbers about sources, and they just read them verbatim or whatever, but. It's just funny yeah. watching these games sometimes, and like the entire, <laughs> the entire narrative of the game is like based on a stat that, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they only get it, can get it from one place. So, and that would be KenPom.com. That would be yeah, be KenPom.com. I mean, you know, you know, CBS Turner paid like uh, you know a billion dollars for their package, and they're spending twenty bucks a year to like 
get the background info for their games. Like, come on, just give me, you know, give me a little bit here. I'm with you, man. I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Credit the the guy who's doing the work deserves it. I just always thought that it was so ironic that you've built this empire and your last name Pomeroy and Palm rhymes with calm. I mean, you were like put on this earth to do the very thing that you're doing. I mean, if it would have been Smith, it would KenSmith.com. doesn't really roll off the tongue the way KenPalm.com does. It's amazing. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, Definitely fortuitous. I mean, uh, I always tell people I bought the, you know, I bought the domain name before I knew, you know, what was going to happen in my life. So, you know, it was just like KenPalm.com. That sounds pretty cool. I'm not thinking that like it would ever anybody else would ever care about it. I thought I was just going to be like, you know, <laughs> writing a diary or something that my parents could check out or something like that. <laughs> but yet, no, all college basketball uh, people. I told you that story of Dave Rose telling me he's complaining about the parental influence one time. And he said, yeah, I swear, as we walk off the court at halftime, they look up in the stands and their dad's giving them the, uh, the player, his KenPalm.com rating. <laughs> so they know it as they as they know it as they go into halftime, <laughs> and and that was before that was that was probably six seven years ago. Now, my goodness gracious, with all the transfers, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Now we're into the thousands of kids on the move uh, on all that stuff, and so it's just gone gone berserko. Dave, when he told me that, I don't think he had any idea where it was going to be and where it is now. Right, and certainly the you know the free year that every player is getting is contributing to uh, the massive amount of player movement that that we're seeing this year. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder what Dave's uh, opinion of name, in, image, and likeness was. Probably, maybe not favorable either. Huh? Uh, I was probably glad that he got out of it. Before we let you go, you got any insight in who might succeed Ray uh, Roy Williams? I don't have any insight. It's. Uh, um, yeah, it sounds like they're going to conduct a national search, which is a good idea. Like, you know, the temptation is, hey, we're just going to pick a Carolina guy. That seems to be what the, you expect from the big schools. But uh, that's actually pretty difficult in this case. Uh, Hubert Davis uh, is their, I think, most likely, most qualified assistant uh, to get it if you wanted a, a Carolina guy. Um, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is out there. I was coaching at Vanderbilt. They did not have a particularly good year. So uh, it would seem to be a pretty difficult sell to bring him in. So, you know, it seems like they might have to go outside the program, which is uh, um, hard to do and obviously not something they've done, you know, for a long time. Uh, obviously, Roy Williams is a Carolina guy. So uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and how willing they are to kind of stray from, uh, from the Carolina system. Um, but uh, I think that's the story, story there. It's obviously a very desirable job and uh, – I think, you know, it's just a different kind of job from like Kentucky where the fans are um, very, very impatient. Uh, not that the fans are patient at North Carolina. Matt Doherty can, can tell you some stories about that. But uh, um, but uh, they're, they're a little more a little more patient there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, obviously, the, the biggest job by far on the market this year. Yeah. All right, Ken, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, PK. Enjoy the rest of your breakfast. Okay, thanks. And before we go, when I'm talking about Suggs being the best player, it's Mark Few era, obviously, John Stockton. I don't even know who was the coach back 
when Stockton was playing way back when. I'm talking about Mark Few, and he's been there 22 years, I think it is, maybe 23. Interestingly, they've made the tournament every single year that Mark Few has been in there. Absolutely amazing, the consistency of this program. I would love to see them win it all for sure, but we're talking about, when I said that, I'm talking about the Mark Few two-decade-plus all right, we got the Bulls uh, play-by-play guy, Adam Amin, coming up at the top of the hour. We'll talk to him about the Chicago Bulls. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Good Friday to you. I mean that literally. How many times can you say Happy Good Friday and mean it literally, Yach? Once a year. Once a year and today is the day. The day that Marvin Gaye was born. How about that? Marvin Gaye, born in 1939. And what was it? He was shot by his father. Was that the story? Yeah. Actually, I think yesterday was the anniversary of that unfortunate incident. One day shy of his birthday, huh? Known as that uh, great all-star, was it the all-star game? He sang the national anthem. Is that what was the NBA Finals? Was it, I, I want to say it was all-star game. Uh, back at the, uh, was it Staples Center or the Forum? It was in oh. Southern California. I know that. I don't remember exactly which and venue. he's got the uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine. What a smooth voice. The best R&B singer of all time? I gotta say yes. Maybe Al Green? Tie? Is it tie between Al Green and Marvin Gaye? Both legends. Yeah, big time, man. It don't get better, no better than this, huh? So happy birthday to Marvin Gaye. Left us way too soon, but gave us tremendous music while he was on the face of the earth. One of the legends, absolute legends for sure. On this Good Friday. You abstaining from meat today? Not I. (laughs) You're not of that faith. (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. I'm currently on a, I pretty much can have protein and vegetables, so... I will not be abstaining from meat. Oh, you're uh, you're trying to drop a few? Is that the point? Uh, yeah, currently, yeah. How's it going? Pretty good so far. About three weeks in, and we're already over ten pounds, so that's good news. Oh, nice. Do you have a target goal? Yes. Let's see how it goes. Uh, I do have a target goal, but it's more of a kind of long range thing. Like, we'll oh, months down the road. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, that's a tough thing to do. You got to stay with it, and if you slip, you got to get back on it. Uh, my wife was telling me, now some people need to do it and they need to stick with it and they need to make a commitment. Others, uh, I, I sort of have a commitment in and out, not of in- eating at in and out. That's not what I mean. 
I have a commitment. You and your uh, double-double have it over here. <laughs> I mean, so I go hard sometimes, and then I loosen sometimes. So I'd probably want to drop about seven or eight if I could. Uh, and so she has a theory that you have to 80-20. So you stay on a regimen of clean eating 80% of the time, and then you let loose 20% of the time. So the uh, problem with 20 is that it becomes 25, 30, 35. You get the point. Starts right. to go the other way. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I try to exercise every day, at least that. It's tougher as you get older, that's for sure. All right, coming up next, we're going to speak to Adam Amin. He does the play-by-play on the television for the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are in town going to play the Jazz tonight. Stay with us. We'll get to that next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. I'll tell you about the Dyslexia Center of Utah. Get your foursome together and sign up today for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. Dyslexiacenterofutah.org. All right, talking about the Jazz, a new month is behind us. The penultimate month of the season. Yeah, we're getting there. Excited to get there. Jazz have 16 games this month. What are they going, my friends? What do you think they're going to be? Expect them to win every time out? I do. Will they win every time out? No. But I believe in this team. I think it's legitimate. I think at this point here, they have proven legitimacy. They have earned the right to be number one. Now, to some extent, absolutely health is factored in. And we have to assume when we get to the playoffs that these teams will be healthy. I buy all that. So that doesn't make them the overwhelming favorite. I mean, you got the Lakers sitting over there with LeBron and Anthony Davis proven. You go that way. Tony, to be honest and real based on how they've been playing the past 12 games, I will say 11-5. and five. But if Bogey gets going, it will be easily 13-3. and three. That's an interesting concept when you think about that with Bogdanovich because he hasn't been going. So you talk about you know these teams that made trades, and I agree with Locke. Denver looks really good, and Aaron Gordon was what they needed. He's not a superstar by any stretch, and I agree when we had Locke on here last hour. He's talking about how if – Gordon gets past the fact, okay, you're the fourth pick of the draft, whatever it was, you're not going to be this superstar. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I agree on that. But he can be a vital piece on a really good team. Then you have Mike Smith. We had him on uh, earlier in the week, and he was saying that, you know, he thinks uh, Aaron Gordon, I'm trying to recall it accurately, is a nice piece, but he's looking at Porter, Porter Jr. to take off. Porter Jr. takes off, then they can be good. You know, he had the issues in college, sat out, I think, his first year. And so what would be this his second year since he's been in the league in terms of playing? And maybe he's a little bit better piece. If he gets it going, Denver's going to be a tough out either way. Uh, I totally agree on that. They've underachieved in the regular season, and they're starting to get it going now. And once you get to the postseason, uh, what you did in the regular season, if you can overcome it, then it doesn't matter. 
So the Jazz, the point I'm making is the Jazz didn't have a big pickup uh, close or near or at the trade deadline. But if Bogdanovich can play more consistently than the way he did last season, then that's sort of a pickup because you haven't been getting the production that you've been getting from him in the past, right? So you follow that train. Does that make sense, Yacht? you get what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, I follow you. Yeah, so if he can increase his game, then that's sort of like getting not a new player, but you're getting production that you didn't have. And that's essentially what Aaron Gordon is providing the Nuggets. They're getting production that they didn't have. Now, it is coming from a new player, so it's a little more obvious and easily identifiable. Uh, well, so, Just to ahead. kind of talk about what you're talking about, with, with Bogey in particular, you, you realize how long ago it was that we've seen Bogey playing at like the quote-unquote peak of his powers? It's a year ago. We have not seen him since before the season was disrupted yeah. last March. Yeah, and he, he was out for all of the bubble. He's been struggling to come back this year. He's had his moments, obviously, but he's not right. where he was at previously. And that's no. and if you can get that back, yes, you're right. That's a, that's an instant upgrade. Yeah. And is it going to come? Uh, I don't know. I can't say for sure. Uh, because I've been looking. I see signs. We saw it uh, the other night with uh, Mitchell out. Yep. He comes out. Man, he hits the threes right off the bat. Gives them exactly what they needed to be competitive early. Uh, and it was 5 of 12 from three. I pretty much take that just about every game from him going forward. Uh, five threes. Obviously, that's a huge addition. So that'll be something, Tony, that I agree with what you're saying there, that that is something to watch. If Bogey gets going, the Jazz can be easily 13-3. and three. Eric says, looking at all the games, I'm expecting 12-4. and four. Depends on LeBron and AD. Jazz have a couple of games against the Lakers. Right. Two weeks from tomorrow is the first of a two-game series. So two weeks from tomorrow on the 17th, they play in Los Angeles and then they're off the Sunday, and then they stay right there and play the Lakers again on the Monday. They play every Monday in February, or February, every Monday in April. And that's the second. My guess is those two guys are not back. They've got to be closer to getting back. The Anthony Davis thing, uh, I went uh, on the air right off the bat. I know somebody who's in, to, in touch with Laker people. And when he went down, he said, uh, they're going to downplay it a little bit, but this is serious. It's going to be a long-term in terms of this season injury. And so far, yeah, it is. Because it's been a while now. You know, he was going to be out two weeks before the All-Star break, and then they would look at it. And, uh, all right, we're, we're getting to be a month past the All-Star break now. And he's still not playing. That's what Mike Smith was saying, too, earlier in the week. Keep an eye on that because he has an injury history. And last year he was healthy in the playoffs. Well, he had three months off before the playoffs. Exactly. And so he had plenty of time to get his body where it needed to be. It's unfortunate for him, but he's had injury issues. And the Lakers come back down to earth big time if he's not playing because I don't think LeBron can do it. Smith was talking about – in terms of winning it all, this was the weakest team that LeBron had. Yeah, he says the supporting cast was yeah. the, the worst he's ever played with. And right. That's kind of significant coming from him, considering some of the supporting cast we've seen LeBron carry to different heights. 
Yeah, and they took that one team that got swept, I think it was by San Antonio in the finals yeah, way Cle- back when. That Cleveland team. It was like 2008, yep. somewhere in there. Mo, Mo Williams was yeah. their second best player. Okay, and they played in a watered-down Eastern Conference. It's amazing that the Western Conference has been the better of the two conferences for now for well over a decade, but that's clear. It is. Uh, so he was able to get through there, and then they got swept. But they didn't win it. In terms of winning it, Mike was talking, Mike Smith, jazz broadcaster, longtime Clipper broadcaster, was talking about that was the weakest team he had to win it. And a lot of it was dependent upon Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis had three months off. Not going to have three. Well, actually, he will have, he could have three months off, I guess. It's just that nobody was playing during that time as opposed to we're playing now. So that's something to to take a look at and watch as far as that goes. A lot of middle of the road, 13 and three. Gwen, 13 and three with the fist sign she's added. Rob, 14 and two. Man, they go 14 and two. It's funny because, how about this? Do you buy this? The more they win, the more pressure it builds in the postseason. Oh, absolutely. Because if they go 14 and 2, man, what's that put them? That's freaking nearly an 800% winning percentage. And David Locke joins us last hour talking about Jazz right now. Statistically, one of the 12 best regular seasons. Now, I'd have to see what those other teams were and where their finish was in the postseason. So. Uh, I'm not suggesting that the Jazz should throw games to take the pressure off. Pressure is whatever you make of it and how you respond to it. Uh, some guys respond to it better than others. Other guys, uh, I mean, they want it. And if the Jazz continue to roll, and they've won seven in a row right now, should go to 9-0. and We come back here Monday morning, should be 9-0, and the winning streak. Stretches to 9 you having multiple double-digit win seasons in a 72-game season. That's pretty doggone impressive. Uh, so with that in mind, that amps up what the postseason is going to be. But that's fine. That's good. Fine. See what you got. And the more people that doubt you, the more people you could say, ha-ha, if you do it all, win it all. I mean, if you don't, well, then they're going to say, see, I told you. There's somewhat of a no-win situation, too. If it's either win the title or you choked, and that's hard to get there. But that's where they're going. That's where they're definitely going. As I look at the schedule, we'll just run through it real quick. we got Ken Pomeroy coming up, talk about the Final Four. Next, you got, I, these two I expect them to win. So, I get, so I'll go through the wins. Chicago and Orlando. Yes. Sacramento, yes. Washington, OKC, yes. So what, I got five. Indiana, yes. Uh, Houston, at Houston on the 21st, yes. So that's seven. Minnesota, they got a two-gamer, same thing after the Lakers. The following week, they got the two-gamer with Minnesota, although they're both not in the same location. It's a home-and-home. I expect them to win both of those. So that's nine. And then another game at Sacramento, that's 10. So minimum, uh, what I said, 16 games. So minimum 10 and 6. Can we all agree on that? 
the questionable games, maybe the 50-50 at Dallas, at Phoenix. Portland at home, am I okay with Portland at home? I think they should win that, but Portland at home, man, when you're facing Lillard. I was going to say. And, and McCollum and those guys can go for 75 between them. The firepower, man. And we don't really blink an eye, man. If they're on, I mean, if Lillard's on, he's as dynamic as anybody in the league. I think we would all agree on that, right? Uh, the Lakers, well, if, if Davis and, and LeBron are not playing, then I got two wins there, but I don't know that situation. And then two ball games at Phoenix. Phoenix uh, on Wednesday, this coming on the 7th, ESPN game, and then the last day of the month. So four weeks from today, they close out the month on April 30th with a ball game at Phoenix. Phoenix is interesting to me, man. They're an interesting case study. Seems like everything they did for so many years was wrong. You realize how many top five, top ten draft picks they've whiffed on? Josh Davis, Alex Lynn, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. These are all top ten picks. And funny, like the Jazz, obviously the Cantor pick was not a good pick. Right? Just not, They get Burks later on in the draft. Uh, and they haven't had that many top ten picks. Hayward was a good pick. Uh, but then they score on Mitchell and Gobert. They were not top ten. Obviously, they should be top ten picks, but they weren't. And so it's sort of the same thing with the Jazz, or the Suns, uh, only they've whiffed on so many of them, man. They should have been much better earlier. Uh, here, they get the number one pick with Aiton. Did they whiff on Aiton because Doncic was sitting there at three? I don't think they whiffed, but obviously they should have taken Doncic. There's no question about it, man. It's a thousand times better. At least they're getting something. Marvin Bagley for Sacramento seems to be hurt all the time, and they don't think that he's uh, putting up the production when he's healthy. Uh, so Sacramento, big-time whiff on that one. Aiton is contributing. He's not asked to do a whole lot now. Booker, Booker was not a, I think the, he was like 13, 14. I think the Jazz went uh, 13, and they took Lyles, and then the Suns took Booker, and they were going to take whoever the Jazz didn't take. Thankfully for them, the Jazz took the lesser of the two. Lyles hasn't done a whole lot. I think he's sitting on a bench in San Antonio. And then the Jazz, uh, the late, uh, excuse me, the Suns swoop up Booker. Booker's a player. And then they've got some nice pieces around him. Mikhail Bridges was a decent draft pick. And obviously the trade with Chris Paul, and away you go. So my guess there on paper, I would think that uh, I would give that a split with the Suns. Both of those games in Phoenix. Suns win both of those games and do what they're probably capable of doing the rest of the way, man. Maybe you got to consider the Suns. I think we'll know more about Phoenix uh, at, at the end of the month. So I'd go split there. So right there, I'm up to uh, basically 12 wins. And if I give them Portland, that's uh, 13. It's hard to find losses in this 16-game schedule in this month. Dallas, I think at Dallas... 
they're one of these teams that uh, any given game is dangerous. Porzingis, decent player. Is he available? Will he play? Because he's sort of in and out of the lineup. Doncic, you can count on him. He's a foundation piece. I think he's first team All-NBA. There's very few players in the league I would take above him, particularly when I factor in he's like 21, 22 years of age. Can he get better? Well, as I watch him, it's hard to imagine that he can get better. But if I look at his age, I'm thinking, yeah, there's no way he doesn't get better. So that'll be a fun game on Monday. That's a 5 o'clock game on our time, which I thought, I guess this year, usually the uh, the NBA gets out of the way of the college basketball, but not this year because that's uh, finals night, yeah, right? Yeah, I think with the tighter schedule, they, can't, they, they just can't, can't do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So the good thing is that the college game, I, don't, I haven't seen the time. Normally it starts about 7 o'clock our time, doesn't it? Uh, Typically, as far as that yes. goes, yeah. So the good thing about the Dallas game, and maybe this, maybe so, maybe they moved it up an hour because that's uh, six o'clock Central Time, be five o'clock our time. That's like an East Coast game in the Central Time Zone, and maybe they did that because of the NCAA final. So that's cool. I won't have that big of an interruption. And speaking of the college final, we got Ken Pomeroy coming up next. Give us his numbers take on what's going to happen in the Final Four. Stay with us. Ninety-seven five twelve eighty the zone. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick of The Athletic. Not to take the spotlight off the Jazz, but I think they're sharing that spotlight with the Nuggets. Those two organizations have been on somewhat similar tracks. You know, they have incredibly unique talents as the centerpiece of what they do at the center spot with Gobert and Jokic. They've got wings, Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, that are wildly talented, but kind of face some skepticism about those playoff moments when that little hesitation when it matters most could be the difference between a win and a loss. And Denver and Utah have kind of had similar stories there, but the Jazz to come out of what happened last year and seemingly be stronger and better as a team is really impressive still. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back in. Thanks for joining us on this beautiful Friday morning. Good Friday for those who are inclined to think about that stuff. And I'm one of those guys. Easter is Sunday. Spring break for a lot of people. Weather's supposed to be good. Life is looking up, and let me tell you, it's looking up even more. Now that we got Ken Pomeroy, he is college basketball analytics expert and proprietor of KenPalm.com. Kenny P., how are you? Ah, PK, it's great to be on. What an intro, man. You're you're the king. King of intros. king. King of all intros. There you go. So we got the final four coming up. Excited, particularly excited for the Bruins and the Zags. You know, obviously they have a, a local connection in that they're in the conference of the Utes and the Cougars. And can Zaga go? Can Gonzaga go? Uh, what are they? Thirty and zip right now. Can they go thirty-two and zero? What an accomplishment that would be. What is your take on that game individually? Well, I think the Zags certainly are, are living right in order to pull an 11 seed in the Final Four. That obviously helps. Um, that said, you know, UCLA is obviously playing better than an 11 seed in order to get to this point. But still, uh, the Zags, at last I checked, are a 14.5-point favorite, which, uh, as far as I know, is, is unheard of in the Final Four. Um, so, uh, so it should be a... You know, a fairly lopsided game. I do think, obviously, Mick Cronin has the 
is he has the power. It's the power to make the game particularly ugly. Obviously, we're just coming off a game where uh, you know they played a, a final four or an elite eight game that had a grand total of a uh, hundred points um, against Michigan. So, uh, so the game that's the, probably the one path to keeping it close for UCLA is just mucking it up, keeping the game close, slowing down the game. You know, that game against Michigan had 59 possessions, which uh, was one of the slowest games in, in the tournament this year. And uh, and that's probably going to be critical again. Obviously, much more difficult to do against Gonzaga with Jalen Suggs running the show. I mean, that's the, the thing. You can look at a Gonzaga stat sheet and you can kind of see, you can kind of envision like little ways to, to keep the game close and make it interesting. Gonzaga's not a team that relies on the three-point shot. If you can force them to take more threes, you know, maybe you'll you'll have a chance. But nobody's been able to crack the code on that. And certainly it wasn't USC who uh, – you know, has more length up front than anybody, and, and they cannot find a way to keep Gonzaga out of the paint, keep Jalen Suggs out of the paint, who you know, is just a magician with the basketball. So so I guess all that's to say that I'm glad this game is first. It's uh, kind of the appetizer. I'm not looking forward to uh, – I guess it is uh, – is it first? Is it, is it the first No, game? it's second. It is second. the second game. So Yeah. Well, make some plans for your Saturday evening, alternative plans, because the second half may <laughs> not be terribly interesting. Oh, so you're expecting that this line is going to hold true then, meaning that uh, Gonzaga wins going away? Well, I think they either win going away or if somehow it is close, it's going to be just uh, not entertaining basketball. It's, you know, it's going to be USC milking some – or UCLA milking some shot clock and, uh, you know, keeping the game sort of artificially close but not close in a way where you're like, ooh, this, this game could go either way. Like, you know, it's Gonzaga winning by – by eight or by six on some late free throws or something, but um, not, uh, you know, not ever trailing by any sort of significant amount. All right. I'm swallowing some food here right now. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you should have given me the signal. I could have extended that answer a little bit, I guess. I'm good. I'm good to go now. Uh, with that in mind, you know, you talk about Gonzaga not being reliant upon the three. We go back a couple of weeks, BYU building a nice lead against Gonzaga in the first half down there at the West Coast Final, and they hit threes. How about the Bruins hitting threes? Do you think that if they should, A, should they just try that, try to steal what BYU did, now caught up to the Cougars in the second half, and obviously they did not win the game, and Gonzaga won by a fairly comfortable margin. So do you think the Bruins should do that, and are they capable of doing that? Yeah, the Bruins, the Bruins should do that. They should do what BYU did, except for two halves. Uh, I don't, what was BYU in the first half of that game? They were like 8 of 11 or something from three. It was something yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, that's, you know, that's the way that Gonzaga will fall if they fall. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be to outstanding shooting and you know, more likely outstanding outside shooting. Um, uh, UCLA is not really they – don't, they don't have the profile to do that. They're not a, a great outside shooting team. Uh, they, uh, of the three remaining teams, are the team that easily takes the fewest three-point shots. They're ranked 300th in terms of the percentage of shots that they take from three-point range in all of college basketball. Um, they do have a few guys that can shoot it. I mean, you know, you look at the, the stat sheet, Jaime Hawkes is a 39% shooter. Jules Bernard is a 39% shooter. Um, but – both of those guys have only taken about three shots per game this year, so they're just not prolific. Johnny Juzang is their most prolific shooter. He's taken about five a game, but you know he's only made thirty-five percent. So 
the issue is, you know, they aren't a prolific outside shooting team. They don't have a lot of guys that uh, take a lot of shots. But I do agree with you. Like, if if there is going to be an upset of Gonzaga, it's going to be uh, through that path. We saw BYU, you know, do it and really have Gonzaga on the ropes. I mean, they. I don't think Gonzaga's been in a situation this year uh, like they were against BYU at the half. So, um, so that will be the path. But uh, that path probably will have to occur in the title game and not in the semifinal game. Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com joining us. Gonzaga pulls this off, which I think they will. I don't think it's a big stretch uh, to assume that. <clears throat> I don't know that they will, but I think they will. Uh, what do you believe as far as going down as one of the all-time teams? Yeah, I mean, you have to put them on that list. The only other, you know, there might be, uh, you know, some, some naysayers, you know, that mentioned that the season was a little bit shorter this year. I mean, they're going to end up playing – uh, something like, you know, five or six fewer games than the normal team would have. Um, that seems like kind of a lame excuse. Uh, um, they obviously tested themselves pretty severely in non-conference play this year. So, you know, if they did have those mythical five or six extra games, you know, four or five of them probably would have been against inferior competition anyway. So I think they still would have pulled it off. But just in terms of, I mean, it's not – there's no real fluke here, just in terms of what they're doing. I mean, what we've seen in the NCAA tournament is uh, is who Gonzaga is. They just have not really been challenged. I mean, not only are they undefeated, but they really haven't been challenged in the last minute or two of a ball game. You know, people will maybe you know locally talk about that BYU game and they'll say, "Hey, wow, that was really a test," you know. But even that, like, that was close for like 38 minutes, but it wasn't really even a test in the last minute. Like, the game was over by that point, um, which is pretty phenomenal given how. Um, Gonzaga started that game, so uh, I would certainly put them in that in that category of the all-time greats. Uh, obviously, in the modern era, you know nobody's been able to full, pull off that that undefeated run, and I think for for good reason. You know, it's not it's not 1976. You're not playing a 27 game schedule. The NCAA tournament is structured completely differently than it was then. You know, where back then it was uh, you know only the conference champs uh, getting in, and obviously uh, select at-large teams picked on a regional basis um now you have just a much stronger field and a much, a much more difficult task to win it all and i think the the cherry on the top would be if they got to play baylor in the final game because for most of the season people have felt like you know baylor is really one of their not necessarily one of the best teams of all time it's only one of the best teams of the last 20 years and just kind of picked the wrong wrong year to have to win a national title because obviously you have Gonzaga, who is you know, one of the best teams of all time that you have to get past ken palm Joining us, yeah, they were going to play in December, if I remember, but uh, who was it? Gonzaga had some COVID issues, so the game did not get played, speaking of uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. So I'm assuming that Baylor wins this ball game against Houston. I haven't watched a lot of Houston. I've seen Baylor play a number of times. Big 12 is a great conference as far as basketball goes. Uh, what do you make of that first game? Yeah, it's actually kind of, kind of an interesting story because Gonzaga and, and Baylor were obviously going to play, as you mentioned. Gonzaga and Houston were also going to play uh, here in Salt Lake City at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe in like mid-January or something like that. But uh, uh, Houston ended up uh, thinking differently about that game, and, and that didn't happen. Um, but that game, uh, that first game, will be a lot of fun. Make an appointment to watch that, I think. Um if you're 
if you're a fan of offensive rebounding, it's kind of interesting. Roy Williams obviously announcing his retirement and people uh, talking about his career yesterday as the, the head coach of North Carolina and, and prior to that, Kansas. Uh, the one thing that Roy Williams' teams did more than anything, people talk about how they play up tempo, but his teams crashed the glass and Baylor and Houston will be paying an homage to Roy Williams in that first game because uh, you got two of the top 10 teams in the country in terms of offensive rebounding. Um, but, you know, like you said, Baylor, I think the, the clear favorite, but Houston is a fun team just because they concede nothing. You know, they do not concede rebounds defensively. They'll concede every pass. They'll challenge every shot. They're not a super talented team, but just their attitude is so much fun. They're really tough. And, uh, and they've kind of gone under the radar. The problem is that Baylor has a very similar approach. They're just better at everything. They're, you know, more like a Big 12 version of, of Houston where they're just, you know, they have better athletes. They're bigger, longer, stronger. And uh, and they're also a the best three-point shooting team in the country, which Houston will shoot the three a lot, but they're just not a great three-point shooting team. And they kind of make up for it by getting offensive rebounds. Baylor... Um, one should three quite as much as Houston, but they will make those threes to the tune of 41% this year. So, um, so that's really what, what drives Baylor's offense, but it's not just that, you know, they're, they can get, you know, they have a great front line and they get a bunch of offensive rebounds and, uh, um, they're kind of a machine as well, especially when the defense gets firing, which, uh, um, it has done lately here in the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm joining us. So, Go ahead under the assumption then on Monday night it's Baylor and Gonzaga. What do you got there? Well, you have one of the best national title games that we've ever seen uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what those two have accomplished during the season. I mean, you think about it, it's really, you know, one versus two in most people's minds. And, you know, you go back through the history of the NCAA tournament. And I think people, you know, when the brackets always revealed, especially, you know, in the last uh, 15 years or so, when they really seeded the top two teams, you know, you think, oh, wow, if this is one versus two, that's going to be a great game. And, of course, rarely, rarely happens. But um, uh, so it, uh, that would be, what I think, the first thing that's noteworthy um, about this matchup. You know, the other thing is that, uh, again, Baylor's defense would really have to rise to the occasion here. I mean, I think all year long people have thought that it it could. They had, you know, a COVID pause in February and came back from that, and their defense all of a sudden was – nowhere near what it used to be and it's still probably not where it used to be but um if they can get back to that peak form i mean they have you know five guys they can basically you know switch everything defensively and that again is is crucial to contain Jalen sucks who like i said is a pretty much magician with the basketball and a magician in terms of just getting into the paint and then breaking down a defense um you know if you can contain him then things get a lot easier defensively but there hasn't been a team this year that has really figured that out. And Gonzaga has scored at least a point per possession in every single game they played this year. And as I've been tracking this in the last 20 years, there's only one other team that has accomplished that. Uh, and that oddly, interesting enough, was a North Carolina team in 2009. So, um, so that's kind of the track record for Gonzaga's offense. It's uh, literally unstoppable, at least to this point. Speak of Suggs, you've brought him up multiple times. I made a statement last week that I feel Suggs will go down as to date when he gets there and give him a year or two to get his feet under him, but he ends up being the best Gonzaga NBA player 
that we've seen to date. I think that would put Sabonis in that category right now. And they've had a number of guys, necessarily not, not haven't been stars, but there have been a number of guys who've played in the league for a good long while, Kelly Olenek-type players. Do you buy my theory that Suggs and them be the best uh, NBA pro to come out of Gonzaga? I do. I do buy that. I mean, I think he'll certainly be the, the highest draft pick. I mean, the guy is just like, you know, when you think of one and done, you don't really think of guys like Jalen Suggs. If you were just watching Jalen Suggs and you didn't know anything about him, you know, you wouldn't think he was a freshman. Um, you know, he's just, he's so skilled and um, doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I will say the one thing, like we talk about like kind of tasks for, for Gonzaga to get upset is Suggs is like surprisingly foul prone for, for a point guard. You know, you, most of your point guards, you don't think of uh, as getting into like regular foul trouble or whatever. And not that he gets into regular foul trouble, but again, for a guard, he does get into foul trouble occasionally. I think that happened, maybe even happened in the first half of the BYU game. Um, so uh, that's something to watch out for. He picks up a couple early fouls, maybe you can get him out of the game that way. Um, but to get back to your point, yeah, the, the the kid's amazing. And that's where this Gonzaga program is really, you know, taking the next, you know, kind of the next level. That They used to be a team that had, you know, kind of fringy NBA prospects. Oddballs like Olenek, even Olenek was, you know, I think he was redshirt his first year. He wasn't necessarily expected to be a solid NBA player, but, um, you know, they got some some surprise guys like that. But now they're getting – like they're recruiting the best players in the country. Um, and that appears to be continuing into next season. So they've really kind of graduated from being this like mid-major that's getting players that nobody else wants and kind of finding diamonds in the rough to, to now a situation where they can go uh, against the best schools in the country and, and really get the players they want to build a, a super team like they have this year. I sort of see Suggs, and this is outrageous, but that's what I'm known for. As a, a taller, a taller Chris Paul. Yes, yes, a much taller Chris Paul. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree. That's not outrageous, DK. You're gonna have to do better with oh, outrageous takes. Dang. Okay. Uh, <laughs> better than magic. Did <laughs> <laughs> I up go. the game there? <laughs> you told me to be more outrageous. That's the best I got for you. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. My only rule about player comparisons is never compare anyone to Draymond Green. So uh, as long as we stay away from that, I can work with you. But uh, yeah, he's probably not better than Magic. But uh, but he's just he has a, a lot of fun to watch. And well, you're the one who said he's a magician with the ball, not me. So you you brought up the Magic. <laughs> That's true. I need a I need a different term, but uh, wizard not refer to the Magic Man, a wizard with a basketball. Yeah, so you put that in my mind, so I'm blaming you. And so what's the deal with uh, CBS and TBS? They're just ripping you off? <laughs> yeah, what is the deal with them? I mean, it is kind of it's kind of weird. You know, they are basically, I mean, you know, my buddy Seth Davis gave me some, gave me some shout-outs uh, last week. But during the broadcast, like they're broadcasters, I mean, I don't know what their game prep looks like, but – Whoever like feeds them stats, uh, it really doesn't tell them that they're getting a lot of their stats from me. And so they'll just, you know, they'll mention these like kind of very, very specific numbers that you, I'm pretty sure you can only get from like one location on the internet. 
and they'll build entire narratives or their games around this. You know, you're watching like North Texas and Purdue and it's like, Hey, they do this well and that well and blah, blah, blah. And they're ranked 38th in the country of this. And, uh, <laughs> and then they just have a bunch of where they get the, they get that wrong, which I think is like a you know would be a nice courtesy since their entire like broadcast is really dependent on that number. So I've known Cats for about twenty five years. Is he one of them? Because I can jump on him <laughs> if uh, if if he's ripping you off, you let me know and I'll get in touch with him. No, Cats is Cats is a good dude. I uh, it's mostly like I said, mostly the the in the game, you know, the announcers. Oh, okay, gotcha. Studio. It's not studio, studio stuff. No, the studio guys do a pretty good job. Uh, okay. But, it's, yeah, it's like, you know, I don't want to call out anybody specifically. Because, again, I don't necessarily think it's their fault, per se. It's, you know, the producers or whatever are just feeding them numbers about sources, and they just read it verbatim or whatever. But it's just funny yeah. watching these games sometimes. And, like, the entire, <laughs> the entire narrative of the game is, like, based on a stat that, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they only get it, can get it from one place. So, And that would be KenPob.com? That would be <laughs> Yeah, thekenpom.com. I mean, you know, you know, CBS Turner paid like a uh, you know a billion dollars for their package, and they're spending twenty bucks a year to like get the background info for their games. Like, come on, just give me a, you know, give me a little bit here. I'm with you, man. I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Credit the uh, the guy who's doing the work deserves it. I just always thought that it was so ironic that you've built this empire and your last name Pomeroy. And palm rhymes with calm. I mean, you were like put on this earth to do the very thing that you're doing. I mean, if it would have been Smith, it would KenSmith.com. Doesn't really roll off the tongue the way KenPalm.com does. It's amazing. Yeah, I, uh, thank you. Um, definitely fortuitous. I mean, uh, I always tell people I bought the you know I bought the domain name before I knew you know what was going to happen in my life. So, you know, it was just like KenPom.com. That sounds pretty cool. And I'm not thinking that like it would ever anybody else would ever care about it. I thought I was just going to be like, you know, <laughs> writing a diary or something that my parents could check out or something like that. <laughs> but yet, no, all college basketball call people. I told you that story of Dave Rose telling me he's complaining about the parental influence one time, and he said, "Yeah, I swear." As we walk off the court at halftime. They look up in the stands and their dad's giving them the uh, the player his KenPalm.com rating, <laughs> so they know it as they as they know it as they go into halftime. <laughs> and and that was before that was that was probably six seven years ago. Now, my goodness gracious, with all the transfers, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Now we're into the thousands of kids on the move. Uh, on all that stuff, and so it's just gone gone berserko. Dave, when he told me that, I don't think he had any idea where it was going to be and where it is now. Right, and certainly the you know the free year that every player is getting is contributing to uh, the massive amount of player movement that that we're seeing this year. But uh, yeah, I, I wonder what Dave's opinion of name, in, image, and likeness was probably. Maybe not favorable either, huh? Uh, I was probably glad that he got out of it. Before we let you go, you got any insight in who might succeed Ray uh, Roy Williams? I don't have any insight. It's, uh, um, yeah, it sounds like they're going to conduct a national search, which is a good idea. Like, you know, the temptation is, hey, we're just going to pick a Carolina guy. That seems to be what the, you expect from the big schools. But uh, that's actually pretty difficult in this case. Uh, Hubert Davis 
uh, is their, I think, most likely, most qualified assistant uh, to get it if you wanted a, a Carolina guy. Um, you know, Jerry Stackhouse is out there. I was coaching at Vanderbilt. They did not have a particularly good year. So uh, it would seem to be a pretty difficult sell to bring him in. So, you know, it seems like they might have to go outside the program, which is uh, um, hard to do and obviously not something they've done you know, for a long time, uh, obviously Roy Williams is a Carolina guy. So, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do and how willing they are to kind of stray from, uh, from the Carolina system. Um, but, uh, I think that's the story story there. It's obviously a very desirable job. And, uh, I think, you know, it, it's just a different kind of job from like Kentucky where the fans are, um, very, very impatient. Uh, not that the fans are patient at North Carolina, Matt Doherty can, can tell you some stories about that, but, uh, um, but uh, they're, they're a little more, a little more patient there. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, obviously, the, the biggest job by far on the market this year. Yeah. All right, Ken. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. All right, PK. Enjoy the rest of your breakfast. Okay. Thanks. And before we go, when I'm talking about Suggs being the best player, it's Mark Few era. Obviously, John Stockton. I don't even know who was the coach back when Stockton was playing way back when. I'm talking about Mark Few. And he's been there 22 years, I think it is, maybe 23. Interestingly, they've made the tournament every single year that Mark Few has been in there. Absolutely amazing, the consistency of this program. I would love to see them win it all for sure. But we're talking about, when I said that, I'm talking about the Mark Few two-decade-plus all right, we got the Bulls uh, play-by-play guy, Adam Amin, coming up at the top of the hour. Talk to him about the Chicago Bulls. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Good Friday to you. I mean that literally. How many times can you say Happy Good Friday and mean it literally, Yach? Once a year. Once a year and today is the day. The day that Marvin Gaye was born. How about that? Marvin Gaye, born in 1939. And what was it? He was shot by his father? Was that the story? Yeah. Actually, I think yesterday was the anniversary of that unfortunate incident. One day shy of his birthday, huh? Known as that uh, great all-star, was it the all-star game? He sang the national anthem. Is that what was the NBA Finals? Was it, I, I want to say it was all-star game. Uh, back at the, uh, was it Staples Center or the Forum? It was in oh. Southern California. I know that. I don't remember exactly which and venue. He's got the uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine. What a smooth voice. The best R&B singer of all time? I gotta say yes. Maybe Al Green? Tie? Is it tie between Al Green and Marvin Gaye? Both legends. Yeah, big time, man. 
it don't get better, no better than this, huh? Birds through the grapevine. So happy birthday to Marvin Gaye. Left us way too soon, but gave us tremendous music while he was on the face of the earth. One of the legends, absolute legends for sure. On this good Friday. You abstaining from meat today? Not I. <laughs> You're not of that faith. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. I'm currently on a, I pretty much can have protein and vegetables, so I will not be abstaining from meat. Oh, you're on, You're trying to drop a few? Is that the point? Uh, yeah, currently, yeah. How's it going? Pretty good so far. About three weeks in and we're already over 10 pounds, so that's good news. Oh, nice. Do you have a target goal? Yes. Let's see how it goes. Uh, I do have a target goal, but it's more of a kind of long-range thing, like, We'll oh, months down the road? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's a tough thing to do. you got to stay with it, and if you slip, you got to get back on it. Uh, my wife was telling me, now, some people need to do it, and they need to stick with it, and they need to make a commitment. Others, uh, I, I sort of have a commitment in and out, not of I- eating at in and out. That's not what I mean. I have a commitment. You and your uh, double-double have it over here. <laughs> I mean, so I go hard sometimes, and then I loosen sometimes. So I'd probably want to drop about seven or eight if I could. Uh, And so she has a theory that you have to 80-20. So you stay on a regimen of clean eating 80% of the time, and then you let loose 20% of the time. So the problem with 20 is that it becomes 25, 30, 35. You get the point. Starts to go the other way. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I try to exercise every day, at least that. It's tougher as you get older, that's for sure. All right, coming up next, we're going to speak to Adam Amin. He does the play-by-play on the television for the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are in town going to play the Jazz tonight. Stay with us. We'll get to that next on 97.5, 1280 The Zone.